0: Hey everybody, today Rada Talks for episode 63 of the podcast, and folks, I have to warn you, there will be a bleep in this episode. Yes, as always, I have recorded stuff out of order, and at one point I got a little carried away, revisiting a old memory, and I used an expletive, and I always try to be family-friendly on the show, so just advance warning. At some point, many hours in your future, there will be a bleep. And, uh, Just wanted to set the stage for that, but it's a ways off. Don't worry. For now, uh, we're just gonna get right to some game-related questions, and then we'll do some more game-related questions with Jen joining, and then finally the personal questions. And it came in the personal questions, if I recall correctly. Anyway, though, I'm sorry. I I just figured out how to do a bleep right before I did this, and then Jen left. She wanted to hear the bleep, and now I'm continuing to record because I'm doing everything out of order. And enough of all that. Let's get going right after this. Okay, games, 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 games. Let's get to the directory and start out with... Andrew, who was surprised to hear me praise Aeon's End ever so highly in my top 10 co-op list considering my dislike of memory in games. For Andrew, two of the quickest ways to drain the fun from a deck-building game are piles of cards versus a randomized row, and a lack of shuffling player decks. How do you justify your enjoyment of a non-shuffling mechanism against your dislike of memory games? Do you play uh, with the decks face-up? If not, would you consider it? Uh shufflingly confused, Andrew. Uh, And P.S. The third method of fun draining is engine-stopping VP cards in player decks. Fair point. Um, The reality is, it's, it's a very valid point. Uh, to play Aeon's End at peak efficiency, you're right. We should memorize what order we discarded our cards in. But I have played dozens and dozens and dozens of games of Aeon's End, and we have never felt the need to do that. It's... uh, I suppose... There might occasionally be circumstances where I'm trying to remember. Wait, wait, wait. Did I play this card before this card? I don't really remember. Which order did I put them in? If that were the case, I don't think we would be adverse to going ahead and looking because if we had perfect eidetic memories, we would know the exact order every single card comes out in. But in all honesty, it's just, I don't, I guess we're not playing. We never play the game at a high difficulty level. We always play at standard difficulty level. And um, at that difficulty level, it has been fine to just try to discard cards, really only paying attention to, right? do I want this card to go before, this card, or after? And then put it away and forget what order they come in. And just trust that whatever order they, they were in, they, they're going to come in a decent order somewhere down the road, but we're just going to take it turn-on-turn turn and deal with what we've got. So, we, even though... We are playing at a deficit. We are not playing at peak efficiency because we do not take notes of what order the cards are going to be in. Although, as you say, strictly speaking, it should be allowable to say, hey, let's discard all cards face up so that we can see what's coming, because in theory we memorized it, but we've just never felt the need. Maybe if we ever did escalate to playing at a tough at the higher difficulty levels and we got completely womped and trolloped. I don't know if that's the right word. We would then have to start doing something like that, but it's just never come up. The game, at at standard level, isn't challenging enough to require it, so we just don't bother memorizing. And that is how I can reconcile. Okay. All right, next up we've got Melanie, who asked if I saw a thread on Twitter from Eric Lang about Cthulhu games and racism and wonders if I agree with his view, which sounds like it differs a bit from what I mentioned in the last podcast. And um, if you recall, I have to admit, I don't exactly recall I remembered in the last podcast. I remember it was a follow up um, that somebody had asked previously. And I did admit that upon further reflection, I think the way I would want to address The issue of Lovecraft in games is to call out publishers for not using their platform to inform and uh, engage their audience with knowledge about what the story behind the game is. And that is something you're going to see me doing more. I've already started doing it more. I mentioned in my Alubari run-through that I was very disappointed. I didn't make a big deal about it, but I mentioned, ah, it's too bad they didn't actually talk about the history, because there's some really amazing history, and they totally missed the trick. I mentioned in my Nevada City video that I was disappointed about the uh, complete and total... Well, I'm going to start doing more of that, and I haven't had any Cthulhu games come up, but the next Cthulhu game I will cover, I'd be willing to bet you anything the publisher will not point out the darker history of the uh, IP, and I will be sure to point it out in my video so that people can know and be more informed. Now... The question is, what did Eric say? I remember seeing this, and I remember thinking, yeah, I don't disagree with what he said, but he talked very differently. And I'm going to go to the thread right now. And let me just going to quickly scan it. And, um, right. His uh, summary, as I recall is that... Well, first of all, it's an ongoing thing. He doesn't necessarily have a 100% answer for how he wants to deal, or how he should deal, with problematic content from problematic creators and whatnot. But his basic attitude was, it is... Let's see. Okay. Man, he actually wrote quite a bit, although he used quite a bit of expletives. And I'm not going to repeat it, because I'm going to have a bleep later on, but I'm not going to bleep Eric lying too. But... Um, basically, there were thresholds of what's acceptable to and versus others. But really, his main attitude was that he doesn't necessarily look, poor, look down on somebody who just wants to enjoy the game, just wants to enjoy the subject matter, and feels like, look, I don't need to know about all of this stuff. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Here it is. Here it is. Quote Eric Lang, I believe it's possible to update problematic content with Modern Context... And with uh, DMD, I think is Dead May Die, a game he worked on, we just went for it. Now, some may critique my uh, take, or oh, then he talks about some other stuff. So really, his attitude is, it's not a problem to go on ahead and use uh, and update and bring into a modern context problematic content. I don't think that's inconsistent. With what I, with, with my particular opinion as well. Um, I don't have a problem. I don't think anybody is implicitly racist if they enjoy, uh, you know, um, Arkham Horror or Eldritch Horror or Call of Cthulhu the Card Game or, or, or any of the other ones. I can't think of the names of all of them, even though I've covered several of them. I, I think that's fine. I just would call upon publishers. And that would include Eric, if I were to cover DMD, which I assume is Dead May Die, I'm not really sure, to just spend a little bit of their time and effort to educate the public as to what it is they're consuming. Where did it come from? What is the historical background? This is something I'm going to be asking more and more just for regular Euros. Please, publishers, use your platform to tell me more about the world as you are presenting it. Um, you know, Educate and enlighten me. And I would say the same to Eric. Educate and enlighten me about what this Lovecraft the mythos was. Tell me what choices you made in the rulebook, but to update, quote "problematic context with modern content or problematic content with modern context. I think that would be a great notes from the author that Eric could include in the rulebook. Maybe he did. That's all I'm saying. I think this stuff can be reclaimed. It can be repurposed. Especially because in the case of Cthulhu, it's all public domain. So it's not like um, you know, there's a whole bunch of racist uh, descendants of Lovecraft who are getting all kinds of money from me because I'm buying these games. It's public domain. And sure, use it as a platform. Use it as an opportunity to maybe surprise your audience and say, hey, you know what? Uh, yeah, You already know this is dark stuff, but you didn't know half of the darkness that lays behind this. Let me educate and inform you. And I think it should be on any creative person, including me with my videos, to take the opportunity where it's available. So I don't see myself as um, you know being a million miles away from Eric at all. He was just focusing more on the actual work. I'm just focusing on support the work. Uh, and I think that'd be great. Uh, maybe someday we'll chat about this, because I'd definitely be... I think it'd be really interesting. Continuing, Melanie wonders, where is the line between board games being art or not art? Uh, Melanie heard Inca Brand interviewed. Oh, I would... I would any Inca Brand interview, I'd be very interested, because she's like a complete mystery to me. I don't know anything about her. Um, anyway, so interviewed and asked this question as a game designer. She thought games were not art. Usually, the art piece itself will communicate the worldview of the artist. I guess the experience of playing a game could do that in an adventure game or a highly thematic Amerithrash game, um, but in Euros, they are mostly mechanisms and math. But I agree that a game like this war of mine is art. To express a worldview in a rulebook is not the same thing as a piece of art, the game itself doing so. It seems that video games are potentially more suited to this than board games. I don't know if I agree... Uh, continuing with uh, Melanie, I don't think of math as art. So would you say playing a board game is more like performance art? But I don't think we could say that all board games like and Wright's and Party Game is art, or could we? And here's a photo of Jen with the Yorkies. I've already shown her the photos. You'll hear her respond to the, fo- to the photos later. Right, okay. Art, well, art is in the eye of the beholder. Art is also in the eye of the creator. If Inca Brand does not feel that her um, creative, uh, her creations, let's say, are you know, raise the level of art, that's totally up to her. To my way of thinking, actually, hold on a second. Let's let's go to the internet. Definition of art. I know I have my definition. It's an expression or application of huge creative skill and imagination, typically in a visual form, such as painting or sculpture, producing works that may be appreciated primarily for their beauty or emotional power. Um, and then no, it goes into a totally different one. Um, various branches of creative activity, such as painting, literature, dance, etc. Um, subjects of study, primarily concerned with the process and products of human creativity and social life, such as language, literature, and history. A skill of doing a specified thing. All right. So none of these quite hit. But the first one, which is to say it's an expression or application of human creative skill, producing works to be appreciated for their beauty and emotional power. That's close enough for me. I would have gone a bit deeper. To me, it is a work of art, if it is a a, a creation of your imagination, that you believe communicates a message to the viewer. To me, that is the definition of art. Now, whether the viewer takes on that, um, I think, for it to be art, there has to be an intent on the artist's part. Otherwise, you are creating something else that we'll probably call art, but it's not its not an artistic expression of you or your worldview or whatever. And here's the deal. Let's take an Inca and Marcus brand game, or I'm just going to say an Inca game, because I believe she's the lead designer and her husband is more of a producer, or you know he's kind of like her... Pl- I'm not quite sure. But anyway, I would love to read an interview with her. Where was this interview? Anyway, um, let's take... I'm trying to think of it now. I can't think of... Village. Village... I could see that. I could read that game as a work of art. Because I think that game, on the surface, is nothing more than a collection, a mishmash of Euro-style mechanisms, converting goods into other goods to get victory points. Like most of the Inca brand's games, like most Euro games in general. However, there are unique elements of that game that have to do with mortality, that have to do with a life well-lived, that have to do with the ideas of being remembered for the life you lived, uh, because choices you make can doom the meeples that you control to a, uh, a, a, a life that is um, talked about for generations to come. Or you could die penniless, and alone, and forgotten. And the result, and the game, actually rewards you for one outcome and um, penalizes you, or you fail to get points for the other outcome. And I would suggest that even if Inca didn't mean to, she is making artistic statements about the merits of a life well lived. Maybe I'm stretching a little bit, and certainly she, it sounds like she didn't think to be doing anything other than saying, oh, well, I'm just trying to come up with good mechanisms here. But to me, Village can tell beautiful and moving stories and I have if you go watch my original run through or final thoughts for village I talk about Jens and my experience with that game and I look at that game as a work of art is it of the mona lisa is it something um that is about a you know uh, you know uh, you know deep philosophical things maybe not but it still tells I mean back to the description it was an expression or application of Inca Brand's creative skills and imagination, and it produced a work of, of uh, to be appreciated for its beauty and emotional power. See, I think emotional power, I'm doing a lot of heavy lifting with that. It doesn't necessarily have to be emotional power. It could be intellectual power. It could be um, thought-provoking power. It just has to be something that engages you. Um, and, you And to me, that means implicitly, the artist said something, the audience is free to interpret it. It sounds like Inca is saying she wasn't necessarily saying anything, but she still created something with emotional power. Not as much as this war of mine, but certainly much more than... uh, uh, Isle of Sky, let's say, as an example. Because there were deeper real human elements to that game, and the game rewards and penalizes. That's taking a stand. That is saying something. And that's why I would say, I wouldn't begrudge anybody. I, I'm, I might be stretching a bit to say that Village is art. But if Inca came forward and said, yes, I did have something to say about the human experience and the human condition in this game, um, and she wants to say it's art, I would support her up and down the road about that. So that's how I think I would look at that. Alrighty. Then we move on to Scott. Would I consider a run-through of My Little Scythe? We're loving Stonemire, but I'm unsure about Scythe. And as much as you don't like or care, uh, what do you think? See below. Um, I am probably not interested in My Little Scythe, because I understand it. it is definitely 100% a game to play with young children, and that means it's going to be way too lightweight for us, and so I'm just not interested. I'm kind of interested intellectually in just the idea of taking a big, heavy, complex Euro and stripping it down. And I like the story that this was fans who made it for their kids, and Jamie Stegmeier liked it so much. He said, hey, I'm going to publish this. I love everything about it, but I am relatively confident Jen and I will not enjoy the game, even if we appreciate it. And I'd rather play games we enjoy. So that's an on-goer. But like you said, see below. Your next question is, is Shay going to run through Scythe? And I got to say, Scott, when this email came in... Within the next couple of days, I asked Shay, does he have access to a copy of Scythe? Because I think that is brilliant, and I think that is the perfect reason to have Shay on the channel. I am not interested in running through Scythe because Jamie told me directly that Jen and I will not enjoy playing it, and that was good enough for me. That is the same reason um, that I got rid of... Um, that's happened a few times. But anyway, so that's why I never saw it outside. Even though uh, players and fans of will tell me left, right, and center uh, 20 times a day that we'll love it, the designer himself told me, yeah, it's not going to be a good fit for you, based on his knowledge of my uh, preferences and uh, predilections and peccadillos. So, I've stayed away from it. I'd love to see a Roto Runs Through video of it, though. And Shay is knocking it out of the park. I have loved every video he has done. So you have put that idea in my head, Scott. And I think that might be something we do see somewhere down the road. I I definitely think so. All righty. Next up, Scott says, Who cares what you think? I do! Thanks so much for the glowing review of Charterstone and Kingdom Builder and Tapestry. My life loves legacy games, so I went out on a limb and got Charterstone. It's so good! I am glad to hear that, Scott. We are having a great time playing it, and even though we're only halfway through, we are already talking about playing it again. That is awesome. Similar to Tapestry, I cannot understand... I, I don't get it. I That... Uh, Tapestry is so good. Jen and I, we just played a couple of games of it last month for reasons... Can I say... Yeah, there's an expansion coming. I I got an advanced copy of the expansion. I'm not supposed to say what the name of it is. I think I'll be able to talk about it this month. But we got out and played it again, and oh my gosh, it's so amazing! I stand by my run-through of last year. I I think people are just hating on it because they are pre... I mean, I, I think a lot of people have been primed to hate it because it's not the next Scythe. And it's not the next Viticulture. And it's not the next Through the Ages. It's its own thing. It's completely different and fresh and unique. And some people just hate it because there was a hype train about it, etc., etc. But yeah, I think that game is not going anywhere. It rates incredibly high. It's had 9,000 people rating it in like the top 500 games of all time. Yeah, it's a hit. And I'm sure... I'm just bracing myself, because there's going to be a whole new round of Tapestry is Garbage when the expansion comes out. But I'm here to tell you, it's great, and I'm glad to hear you agree with me, Scott. You're my kind of dude. Alrighty, Let's move on to Will. Who? um, Let's see here. Right. I actually answered some of Will's stuff later on. as It was, was kind of personal. But there was a game one in here, wasn't there? Yes. I'm not asking for specific games. I know better. But let me offer a thought experiment for folks who act as game sommeliers for their gaming friends and family. Let's assume you have your usual backlogs of games for you and Jen to play for the show. And there are, say, three games to cover um, in a day. And importantly, there are similar deadlines for these games. All right. All righty. Is there some set of rules that determine what order... Right, so you're saying, how do I pick what... You know, Taking all the easy questions out of the way, how do I pick what games Jen and I play? Uh, In what order do they come to the table? Does it perhaps have to do with time, brain burn, level of interest, game mechanics, difficulty to learn and teach? Will you play um, one of those three next? How do you personally go about thinking, what's next? What is your headcanon for selecting? He talked about headcanon in his other question, too. Um, As a related question, do you have a set of rules... Or thinking for when you say a family member or friend would come for a visit with kids, uh, I'll come back to that. Okay, so how do I choose? You're right. Obviously, you were you were right to. Obviously, I choose based on schedule. Um, you know, either oh crap, there's a Kickstarter campaign I need to do this one, or oh crap, I've had this game for too long. Uh, but you you take those you know those kind of logistical needs of the show out of the question. All things being equal, how do I choose? Um, I think a big part of it is Jen and her current psychological makeup. Where do I think she is at the moment? What is she ready for? Um, A big part of that is literally what time of day is it? Is it in the afternoon or the evening? The later it goes in the day, the lighter the game has to be. Because Jen really starts shutting down and just cannot enjoy a heavy, crunchy game that she would love if we started playing at 10 a.m will just literally fry her brain and make her break down if we play it at 5 p.m. That's just the way she's wired. Um, so that's a big part of it. What time of day is it? Have we been playing a lot of heavy games? Have we not played a lot of heavy games? It really... I mean, most of this comes back to me reading how what is going to be the best time to introduce this game to Jen. Because me, I'm pretty much up for anything most any time. Um, I can play games and enjoy them late at night, no matter how heavy or light they are. Jen, my only gaming partner, who I must at all times ensure is having a good time, because that's central to the entire enterprise, is my number one metric. So... If uh, you know the last time we played a heavy game, I got the impression she's really feeling it, or if we haven't played a heavy game for a while, I'd probably skew towards the heaviest game on my list, because now is the best time to hit it. If I think she's fatigued, if there's just a lot of other non-Rotto stuff going on in life, if it's tax time, if um, there's family issues, if she's just feeling a little stressed about living with my mom, which can really drive her nuts sometimes, okay, probably not a good time to bring in a really heavy game. Um, so I think it really is, a, probably more than anything else, me r- registering the weight of the game against Jen's current state of mind. And that's how I will prioritize things above all else. The other main thing is my personal excitement level. Sometimes I will say, sorry, honey, I know you're really not up for this, but I'm so excited about this game. And although as much as anything else, that will be because she's really excited about it too. Um, so it's it's going to be kind of stuff like that, really. All righty. Let's see. I think I answered this other one later in the personal stuff. Yes, I did. So let's move on to Daniel, who says, "Do I have any interest in Primal: The Awakening? It is a card-driven, diceless dungeon crawl, and you've given me a link, which I will click, which doesn't help anybody at home, and but not to BoardGameGeek to their site, Primal: The Awakening. You've you've sent me to their FAQ. I don't need this. I need BoardGameGeek.com. We're going um, Primal." The Awakening. Let's take a look at that. And right, here we go. Well, right off the bat, first strike is, I do not have it listed as interested. Even look into it more. Which means I have probably at some point looked at this and dismissed it. It's a fully cooperative monster hunting miniature board game for one to four players set in a world where humans struggle to survive the untamed wilderness. Sounds fine. It's got a campaign mode or a hunt mode instead. Gameplay features. Yes, that's what I need to get to. It has crafting and customization. Okay, so right off the bat, this is sounding like um, those... I can't think of their names anymore, but isn't there like a whole genre of video games where you go out and you kill stuff and you harvest them and then you craft things? It looks like they're trying to convert that. I mean, it started with a a Japanese Sega game, I think, and then a Monster Hunter, and then it's become like its whole burgeoning genre. So it sounds like it's a game put in that system. Why did I look at it at some point and dismiss it since I didn't mark it as even look into it later? I'm going to assume it's because it probably has dice-based combat. It's centered in intense and challenging boss fight system and combines tactical positioning, hand management, and cooperative play. This all sounds great. Each monster is a unique challenge the hunters will have to face as a group. Monsters have their own specific set of deck of cards, so it sounds like it's borrowing some ideas from um, Kingdom Deathmatch, which I'm really intrigued by. This all sounds fantastic. At this point, I can only assume I've just never heard of this game for some reason. Weapon types? And it doesn't say anything about dice... Um, okay, to answer your question, yes, I'm interested in it. I have just subscribed to this, and I'm putting it on wish list number four. Thinking about it, I need to look at it a little bit more. So um, I don't know if that's really what you're looking for, Daniel, but you convinced me to look deeper. Number two, would I have guessed that Martin Wallace designed Runebound Second Edition if I didn't know? No, jeez, Louise, talk about um, you know, uh, yeah, and and he designed the original one too. He was a co-designer on First Edition as well. Nope. Um. I think it's great. I love that he was involved in that. Obviously, a different point in his life. Uh, I would love to see. I mean, I would love to know what he was responsible for. Who's he co-designed? Did he do that with Glenn Drover? No, that's that's him working on um, the train games. Him and Glenn. Who 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 did you do this with? Runebound. Let's looky Lou. But or if I can type, are you any bound? Is it one word or two? Runebound. Oh, board game. There we go. Here we come. Runebound, um, first edition, please. Was designed by Martin Wallace and Daryl Hardy. I don't know who Daryl Hardy is. What has Daryl Hardy done instead? Twilight Imperium expansions, My Little Pony the Collectible Card Game, Disc Wars. Wow. All right. What a obviously this makes friends in real life. They were in the same game group or something like that. That is that is weird. Um, no, I never would have guessed, and I think it's awesome. And I would love to see him return to Sweeping, because we love Runebound. All righty. You said you disliked the Legacy Interruption in Clank Legacy, um, which I'm actually going to talk about a little bit later in another question. Um, do you like Aeon's In Legacy? And if so, why? The thing that killed Aeon's Legacy um, for Daniel was the constant interruption, sometimes two or three times during a game session, to put stickers, find cards, read text, etc. Um, that's true. That is a very good point. I would suggest that probably the reason we found it acceptable in Aeon's End Legacy and not Clank is Aeon's End Legacy plays in half the time. Aeon's End Legacy, Aeon's End just in general, is a very quick, under one hour game. It zips along with incredible velocity. And here's the deal Clank can drag. Clank um, can drag on for an eternity if you don't have somebody purposely racing to try to end the game. Which I don't know that I necessarily agree with. Yes, there's you know, over time the dragon, the dragon is not very much of a of an aggressive push until somebody has made it out. So Klein can already be on the long side, even if somebody's rushing. And then to take a game that is already on the hairy edge of too long and definitely make it too long. That was a problem, especially because the changes and twists that would show up were huge. Those stickers were a real pain to turn, and it could really change the whole game up. The stuff that interrupted Aeon's End, I did not feel to be quite so game-changing, even though there were really cool things that would happen. And they were easy to implement on the fly, and the game's velocity kept going. I like Aeon's End more than Clank right from the get-go, because Aeon's End is a faster, high-intensity, quick game, whereas um, Clank is a slow burn as you slowly build up your deck, and then it starts to accelerate as the game goes on, whereas Aeon's End is high speed right from the get-go. So I think that's probably a big part of where the change happens, which means, Daniel, you might have identified a mistake I made, because I when I covered clank. I did complain, and I complained, wow, I really worry that um, doing legacy interruptions mid-game is a problem. Maybe it's not a problem. Maybe it's just a problem in a game that I already think is maybe a little bit on the long side. Good observation. Number uh, Next one for Daniel. What do I think triggered the annoyance with false game classification? Do I remember my first case? Uh, this is the part where we most agree, and we disagree on a lot of stuff. I almost flipped my lid when I heard somebody from Secret Cabal calling Magic the Gathering his best deck building. Arg, I... Yeah. Um, I shouldn't matter. Neither of us should. It's not that big a deal. I mean, who cares? So what? And like I said, I I think I mentioned when I talked about this before. I, you know, decimate, and similar words where people want to by hook or by crook, no matter what, hold on to the original definition, even though society has moved on. And look, I know irregardless, um, or is it irregardless versus, you know, irregardless means you don't regard, which means irregardless means you do regard it. And, but everybody knows what irregardless means. Stop it. It doesn't matter. That's the thing. Society has deemed irregardless or decimate, and everybody knows what it means. I guess I'm bothered when um, when a change is happening live and everybody doesn't know what it means. And it is very easy to misunderstand what legacy is or what deck building is. And so I guess I'm bothered when it genuinely creates confusion. When it's just a question of... Um, of why can't I think of the word? Um, linguistics. Semantics. When it's just a question of semantics and it's mostly academic, I don't care. Everybody knows what you mean, whether you accept it or not. But not everybody knows what you... Right now, not everybody knows what you mean when you say it's a legacy game. And I would rather that not be the case. And that bugs me. So that's really... That's the difference. That's where I draw the line. Uh, if genuine confusion is created as opposed to just trying to adhere to outdated definitions. Moving on, is there, says Daniel, a game that would have been one of my favorite games if it didn't have role to resolve? Oh, oh my. Let's go to gone.rotto.com. I mean, I've, uh, you know, Runebound Second Edition is certainly a good one. All right, so I've just got this sorted, and this is. Um, Arkham Horror, the card game, kind of has roll to resolve. It has pull to resolve, but it's you know it's it's all but the same. And I would certainly dig the game more, but I don't think that would put it over the top. Uh hmm. I'm just scrolling down, looking at stuff. So many of these games don't. You know, I need to do, I need to do an advanced search because there's too many of these that don't have dice. Advanced search games. Oh, but I can only search for games that are owned, and these are previously owned. I can't do this search. So that means I'd have to actually download a collection, sort by previously owned, because I can't search by previously owned. And, um, yeah. All right, well, I'll just keep looking a little bit more, because I'm not going to take that much time doing it. Interestingly, you know, I'm not seeing anywhere on this first page of gone.rado.com a game... Actually, I know I can do it. I can just do a search for dice, or roll. I can do a search for roll. All righty. Uh, XCOM, the board game. Ooh, but you know what? I actually mentioned there's a lot of dice rolling, but it's surprisingly tolerable. Uh huh. Alrighty, hostage negotiator. Um, I did say too much dice rolling for my taste, and it is it, it is a bit heavy. It's actually I am less concerned or bothered by too much dice rolling. The a solo or a co-op game I mind less. It's still not my favorite thing, but I'm I'm more acceptable. I really dislike it in a competitive game. Where you know the outcome is resolved. Uh, let's see what else. Sushi roll. No, that was just all right. Roll for the, all right. So nothing on the first page. Let's just. I'm I'm really curious about this. I've only got three pages. Let's see if I said anything about roll to resolve on the second page. Nope. I no and drum no and no. So far no no uh, no. I've got, I mean, there's definitely some roll or some roll to resolve games here, but none of them I got rid of because of the roll to resolve. I got rid of them for other reasons. Ooh, I don't have a de- de- description of why I got rid of Roll for Adventure. um, But, you know, I didn't like Roll to Adventure enough anyway. I need to put a description of that one, though. I think, surprisingly, and uh, this, or maybe not to other people, but it definitely surprises me, I don't think any games, have failed to hit my upper echelon because of Roll to Resolve. Roll to Resolve is something I use predominantly to dismiss games out of hand. Because you know, I'm always looking for an excuse to not cover any game that comes down the pike. And if you... Oh, it's a party game? Oh, good. I think I'll just pass. Oh, it's got Roll to Resolve? Okay, I'll just pass. Because there's too many games already. I know I've said this in the past. But, I mean, like... Here's a great example. Um, two games I love that are in my top 50 is... Um, well, interestingly, they're both co-op. Legends of Andor... I wish it wasn't Roll to Resolve, but I love it in spite of it. And uh, same for Space Hulk Death Angel. So yeah, I don't think it's the case that I've had games fail to be my favorite of all time because of Roll to Resolve. More dice questions. Are are D6s my favorite dice, or do I prefer 8s, 10s, 12s, etc.? I kind of do. I think maybe D6s are my favorite, yeah. I do like 12s, just because I like kind of the chunky... N- nugget feel. I mean, I specifically because of Gold West. Is that what it was? No, Rolled West came with D12s and I really enjoyed those dice and I would love to see more D12s. But I there's just a universality. There's something primal about D6s. Knowing the fact, I mean, you know, you've seen, you know, the ancient D6s that are Thousands of years old, and Han Solo has D6s hanging from the cockpit of the Aluminium Falcon. I mean, like I said, it's just like it's deep in our core of humanity, D6s. And of course, there have been ancient uh, world D4s shown as well. I know those have been found, but D6s are just like wired into our species DNA. So I think I do like them really kind of for on a kind of a gut instinctual, almost lizard brain level. That I just I love the fact that they have been with us for so long. Um, right. Do you think mechanisms that you or other people think are bad are justified if they can be used as a thematically appropriate game? For example, this War of Mine. Oh, hey, this War of Mine is a game full of Roll to Resolve. And so obviously, yes, you yourself point out. Yeah, sure. Um, I I don't think Roll to Resolve is bad. I should hasten to add, I don't like it. Interestingly... A question is going to come up later in the Jen Games question, where Jen and I do talk about why are we cool with um, card to resolve, but not roll to resolve. So that's coming up. Somebody else asked that, and Jen talked about it too. And um, But yeah, roll to resolve is not implicitly bad. Roll to move is not implicitly bad. I think, I, if you want to say objectively, poor, awful things. I don't know what... I mean, I don't know that any obje- any what game mechanism is objectively not subjectively subjectively i don't like it does not mean it is objectively a bad thing i don't think there is such a thing as an objectively bad uh or not or i should say there's no such thing as a mechanism that can't be redeemed that can't be used well because i love merlin from steffenfeld and that's a roll and move game and i love it it's one of my favorite feld games so yeah Roll to resolve is not implicitly bad. It's just not something I prefer. Alrighty. And, oh, right. You have a video game question, which is about Ghost of Thumshima. And I know nothing about this game, so I'm going to skip it. Particularly because I didn't cover this in the non board game stuff. And so, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I know nothing about this game, so I can't say. All righty. So that's, that's my dodging that bullet. Ha ha, David, Daniel, you got you got enough out of me, I think. All righty. Kevin, who has a very cute dog, and we will be looking at that with Jen later, Kevin, says that he has a Patreon question. And I remember when this came in, I was thinking, should I make this personal or game-related? I'm not really sure. Should this be only about games? I always think of it as it's, the, the first half is about the games and Rotto runs through the show. But maybe I shouldn't. Should Rotto runs through... Sp- this is a question to you folks. Please answer. Please let me know in, the, in next month's questions at roto.com. Uh Because I don't know if Rotto runs through things should be in the personal section, and this should be just 100% about games, but I put it here. And it is a Patreon question. In the last episode, I mentioned a Patreon episode about the, co- uh, the collection. One should start if they have $500. I was wrong. It was actually, if you only had $250, what game should you buy? That was the, the one I did. And Kevin wants to know, how do I find it? I want to pledge it. I want to see that video. Well, um, uh, yeah. See, that's the thing. Should that be here... This is... Uh, Kevin, it's easy to find. It's a ramble. Anybody, if you want to, just go to ramble.rado.com. That will show you a list of every ramble I have done every month for two years now. I'm going to do it right now. ramble.rotto.com. Oh. Oh, except do I have internet? Hold on. Has my internet died? Oh, whoops. I need to do a security, uh, Patreon. What is wrong with you? I have to click on boat images? Jeez Louise. Right? Uh, that's, a, no, that's a plane. That's an ambulance. That's a kayak. I'll say that's a boat. And now more boat pictures. Oh, this is ridiculous. Why am I not pausing? Because I'm, I'm going to see this through. All righty. Now, can I get there? Thank you. Folks, you may have to prove you're a human if you go to patreon.com, apparently. ramble.rado.com and you will get a list of however many it is now. Uh, from the most recent one. And I'm just going to scroll down. And you can... I mean, if you haven't backed me, you can see the descriptions of what they are, so you can see. And uh, folks, if you want to see these, all you got to do is just pay two bucks... And then for the remainder of the month, you have access to all of them. So uh, this one went up. Scroll down until you get to a picture of a stack of $50 bills. Specifically, five $50 bills that totals $250. It's called Thanksgiving Day Ramble. It went up on October 22nd, 2018. And it is a video... That is 20 minutes long, where I suggest if you have 250 bucks and an Amazon Prime account and no board games, these are the ones you should get. And actually, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. So anyway, I thought I should put this here because I don't. I'm I'm, man. I I sound like I'm shilling for getting your two bucks. I'm not. uh, But I thought other people would definitely be interested to be some of use. But see, that's the thing. This question should have gone into the personal section, shouldn't it? You folks tell me. But anyway, then uh, Kevin had awesome dog pictures, which Jen will enjoy in a bit. Rebecca says she wanted to say that she would happily sponsor Jen and I to get to New Zealand. What does that mean, Rebecca? Tell me more. Can you do that? Can you get me into your country? Um, Are you a business owner? Will you give me a work permit? If so... I am seriously. Talk to me. Talk to me about that. Jen and I are... You know, I, I'm genuinely seriously interested in that. But in the meantime... I, but I wouldn't want to risk your business or anything. Um, let's see. You picked up Gloomhaven six weeks ago, and you and the hubby... You didn't say hubby. I'm paraphrasing. I've already finished 25 missions. Well done. I'd like to get Jaws of the Lion. They already have Forgotten Circles. Uh, and I wasn't sure if it would be any good for us, since we already know how to play Gloomhaven, but more Gloomhaven can't... No, more can't be bad, right? What do you think? I agree. More Gloomhaven can't be bad. Here's the deal. If you had not played Gloomhaven, I would suggest get Jaws of the Lion, because it has a great tutorial. That tutorial lasts for all of 45 minutes. The first three missions of Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion, Jen and I finished in under an hour. And if you hadn't played them... In fact... I think if you go to Jaws of the Lions forum on BoardGameGeek, Isaac has already posted what to do if you just want to skip the tutorial and get right to the game. That means you start with, I forget, either Mission 4 or Mission 5. I would start with Mission 4. Just treat it as if you won Missions 1, 2, and 3, because they were just really super-duper simplistic. You'll see when you read them. Go to Mission 4, which is 90% of full mission, and then enjoy the remaining stuff. And it's great to get... Um, they're great new characters, great monsters. It's all fantastic. Yeah. Don't stay away from it just because... I mean, some people wrongly, and for a long time I was mistakenly thought the whole thing was a tutorial. No. The majority of this is just more great Gloomhaven content. And you clearly love Gloomhaven, so you will love Jaws of the Lion. And honestly, Jen and I really enjoyed those first few missions that were we finished in under an hour, because it was just interesting to see how they did it as a tutorial. So you know, maybe take a look and see if you want to do those, too. They'll be done with them super quick. Alrighty. Um, Rado, do I refrain, asks Eric, from mentioning the designer and or publisher when doing my run-throughs? Do I save that for the final thoughts? I'm sometimes surprised who the designer is later on, and it sometimes lends a lot of credibility to their game. I will be honest... <laughs> I should, I, I regret, I do not feel good about myself, because I should, in every single video, as part of my opening patter, say, hey everybody, today Rado runs through Alma Mater, a game from designers Virginio Gigli and Flaminia Brezzini. I feel like I should do that. I feel like I am doing designers a disservice, and they are, because I mean they should be front and center more. It always drives me nuts when every time um, Tom Vassell back in the day he always used to say um, you know, when people asked him how did he rate games, you know, wh- what were the things he looked for in games, he always looked to the publisher first. I always looked to the designers first, publisher second. And um, you know I mean the the publisher I mean they're 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 easy to find. I I want I mean, as a former designer myself I want to do that here's the reason I don't do it you just heard it I uh, alma mater is on my table right now I don't know how to pronounce Virginio uh, Giggly and Flaminia uh, F- Flaminia Brazzini and Antonio Tinto and Stefano Luperto that's the problem there are too many games or names that are hard to pronounce and And believe me, every time I mispronounce anything, I get a cavalcade of people complaining about it, and I don't know why. Uh, Whenever any non-native English speaker mispronounces my name, never in a million years does it occur to me to say, well, actually, you pronounced it wrong. It's Richard, not Ricard. It's like, who cares? You get it, I'm trying, you know, but man, I just get drowned by people uh, pointing out every little mistake. And so that's honestly why I don't do it. And I feel bad about it. But I, I'm just doing it to save myself more pain and not anguish, but just annoyance at um, pronunciation police coming after me, because they already do enough. And I mean, and I try. Uh, you know, and I hate all these games. Teotihuacan. God, just put a... Pronunciation guide in the rule book. What is wrong with you, publishers? Why are you? Uh, it drives me nuts. Anyway, um, Anyway, moving along. Uh, sorry, Eric. I got a little uh, heated under the collar there. Mario. Has game and or show questions. See, Mario thinks I should put the show questions with the games. What do you folks think? All right, um, what is the selection for roundups? Do I only speak about the new games I play with Jen? Or do I include the already previously played games? Looking back, the rundown concept evolved a bit since I started doing them. I may be wrong, but rundowns are no longer exclusive to Kickstarter, and some of them have run throughs sometimes. So nowadays, how do you select which game will have a run through, which one will have a rundown? Okay, these are all valid questions and I believe there's gonna be a question coming up later on where I do talk a bit about rundowns and runthroughs. Okay, here is the deal. Um, yeah that's right because there's a question coming a little bit later about um, what am I trying to do to ensure I don't get burned out and I talked a bit about evolving from rundowns to runthroughs and what run what rundowns were supposed to be and now what roundups are. you'll hear this question in the next section with Jen but all right now, So with that, because that's coming, and that'll kind of address some of this. Let me just explain. Every month, I am right now committed to doing run-throughs of six games. I used to... Last year, it was eight games. Before then, there was no limit. But there, there are. I will always run through six games because that's what Patreon backers are paying me to do. I actually break down. Hey, because I'm making this much money, that means I'm doing run-throughs of games. And at this level, I'm do- Jen will agree to do the podcast and whatnot, so people can see what they are paying me. They they can see how much they're paying me for every run through. If I recall correctly, I the more of them I do, the more expensive it gets. The first ones are like two hundred and fifty, and then the later on, they're like. I mean, you can look all this up. I don't. I don't remember. I Jen and I talked about it a lot, because it's a lot of her time, it's a lot of my time, and all the rest of it, and we ultimately came up with numbers that we thought were reasonable. And um, so, I, the Patreon backers pay me to run through six games. Those are all going to be retail games. And um, sometimes there'll be a rundown. Uh, because, really, at this point, if I don't have enough to say in final thoughts to, to make for a nice, big, meaty, at least five or ten minutes of final thoughts. If my final thoughts on our game are, yeah, that's pretty nice— I'm probably just going to do a rundown. Because it feels... I mean, it's a pain for Paulo and for me to have to maintain multiple separate videos and whatnot. And if all I've got to say is, yeah, that was pretty cool, but it was too lightweight for me and Jen, I just don't see the reason to break out a separate full... It's. I feel silly doing a 90-minute... Or I'm sorry, a 90-second... Final thoughts video. So at this point, that's kind of, except not really, that's going to be sometimes why I do a rundown. Sometimes I do a rundown because the run through plus the rundown is going to, all told, be like 30 or 35 minutes. And sometimes it's just going to be I'm in the zone. You know, look, I'm right there, I'm right now, and I can just keep going and I can do the run through. The reason Final Thoughts originally separated out is because. I remember for the longest time, everything used to be run down I, I, because it was just a single video where I'd play the game and then I would just turn the camera around physically and talk to the camera. And when I broke them up, one of the reasons was because, hey, after I am done, I'm exhausted after filming a run-through, and maybe I could use a little bit of time to gather my thoughts before I actually start giving final thoughts. Because there are plenty of games where I just went for non-stop 50 minutes, my brain is fried, and now I'm just real-time trying to riff about what I think, and I don't have my thoughts in order. So I started breaking them up so I could do them in order. And that's kind of still the reason they're separate. Sometimes I don't need to do that. Sometimes I know exactly what I'm going to say, and it's like, you know what? Let's just keep going. Let's just do this right now. Sometimes it's I don't have much to say in the final thoughts. So it's going to be a combination of those kinds of things. Um, but I talk about what rundowns were supposed to be when I started doing them to avoid burnout, but that's now what roundups are. So anyway, getting back to my monthly, I am guaranteeing that I'm going to do six run-throughs of commercially available games. Three of them will have been chosen by the voters. A fourth one will likely, if it's a game and not an expansion, have been chosen by people who thumb stuff on Roto Request lists. And then the other ones I'm going to choose. And they're going to be just things I like, or things that I know the audience wanted anyway, but it came in late so they didn't get a chance to vote. Often, it'll be whatever came in fourth or fifth or sixth. So still, the voters are kind of choosing. So I'm going to do those six. On top of that, I'm going to cover some unknown amount of Kickstarter things. Because the, pub, you know, the, the Patreon backers ba- you know, pay for me to cover these games. Publishers pay for me to do Kickstarter previews. And so that's a variable amount based on how many games are going live that I've said, yes, I will cover. That's probably going to be another four or five on average. Sometimes more, sometimes less. In addition to that... You know and that could be hey boom there's 10 or 12 games that plus the podcast plus the roundup summary plus the top 10 you've got like 3 videos a week that should be enough that's more than most channels do but If that's all I'm covering every month, then I am every month falling farther and farther and farther behind. There have been times when I have had in excess of 200 games and expansions sitting on my shelf that I need to cover because I told the publisher, sure, send it out, I'll take a look. And that just really fills me with dread. And so I used to just do a lot more run-throughs, and then I was trying to do roundups because they or, 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 or rundowns, because they were quicker than run-throughs, so I could somehow make a dent in it. I gave up. none of that worked. What works is roundups. So Jen and I play anywhere from 15 to 25 games a month that we are exposed to at games and expansions. and The ones that get full... I mean, I just explained how some of them will get full coverage. The other ones, because they didn't get enough votes, or because I don't think the publisher will be interested, or because I don't have that much to say about it, or because I didn't like it, and I don't want to complain. And in the past, I would have just said, yeah, I'm not going to say anything about this game. But now, the Roundup just gives me a nice little platform where I can spend a few minutes saying, hey, here's what's good, here's what's bad, it wasn't for us, and I can move on. I don't have to make a big production out of it. Uh, Like most recently, the uh, Funko uh, Back to the Future game, which Jen and I did not like. I'm not saying it was a bad game, but boy, we did not like it at all. And in the past, I would have had to write them and say, boy, I can do a full run-through for this, but here's what I'm going to say. Do you really want me to do this run-through? And it becomes a whole big production. Now I can just say, oh, I've got the roundup. I'll spend a couple minutes. I'll say it was our least favorite game of the month and move on. So that's kind of my thought process into how everything gets broken down. And folks, that was a lot of stuff not about games, but instead about Roto Runs Through. Should that stuff go into the personal section, you tell me. And now let's move on with Mario's other questions. Right, which I actually, I started answering his pandemic questions, because I saw he had labeled them pandemic questions, and I thought he meant, oh, it's about COVID. I should keep that in the personal section. But he meant pandemic the game. So you're, all right, did I answer this first one? Yes, this first one, uh, Mario, I'm going to answer this in the personal section by accident. And then I'm going to realize, so let's go on to the second. He's asking about Pandemic Season 1 and 2, side by side. How do I rank and compare them? Which one felt better as a game and as a storyteller? And you know what? I don't have to. You can go watch my spoiler-free final thoughts for Pandemic Season 2 if you want me to go into depth. Again, without spoilers. I'll tell you right now, for a number of reasons. Pandemic Season 2 did some very cool and very ambitious stuff, but on the whole, I felt it was a weaker game um, than Season 1. And I talk about why in my final thoughts, and I do it without spoilers. So you can go check that out. Continuing on with your Pandemic the Game questions. Taking into consideration my ranking system, how does Hot Zone influence my overall ranking of Pandemic? What he's referring to here, folks, in case you don't know, is... I don't have an entry in my overall... If you go to Rank.Roddle.com, you can see how I rank all the games in my collection. But I just have one entry for Pandemic. I don't have separate entries for Legacy 1 and 2, and Fall of Rome, and um, uh, 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 Hot Zone. Because if the it's close enough to Pandemic that it feels like it's an expansion, I tend to lump all expansion for a game into my rating for the game itself. If an expansion comes out that's so amazing, it so improves the game, I just bump up my ranking for the game. Because all my rankings are assuming I'm including the uh, expansion in them. I'm trying to think, has that ever brought a ranking down? I don't think it has. But anyway, Hot Zone is not as good as regular Pandemic. So it certainly doesn't push Pandemic up. Hot Zone is nice. It is Pandemic in 10 minutes and that has a place but it doesn't in- increase or enhance my appreciation of the pandemic game formula so it was a na- it was a blip um, we kept it uh cuz if we ever need a 10 minute game that prob if we ever need a 10 minute game that would be the first game i would pull out either that or a roll and write but it would be one of the first ones i would think of Alrighty. and where do i think vanilla pandemic would be ra- ranked considering everything I just said, without, if I did not use it as a summary container for all pandemics? That is an excellent question, because it would not be my number one game. Vanilla Pandemic with no expansions. Huh. Let's see. And you also asked, You really want to know what I think about Hot Zone. All right, let's go back to... Um, let's go to games.rado.com, which is another version of rank.rado.com. All righty. So, pandemic is my number one. Seven Wonders is my number ten. All right, let's scroll down. Let's answer your Hot Zone. If I, if, if rest pandemic, did, where would I rank Hot Zone? Hot Zone, I think is better. I'm just scrolling down. It is better than my number 357 Tumult Royale. So I got to go up from that. Is it better than the Mind? Oh, that's a tough one. Is Hot Zone? Be- oh, and see, I now I have to decide. Do I go above or below the Mind? Wow. I think it's better than mine. Let's go a little bit higher. Is it better than Star Trek Expositions? No, it is not. Is it better than Notillion? So, I mean, if you if you went to games.rado.com and you might have to refresh the page to see literally all the games I own ranked in numeric order, Star Trek Expeditions is my number 324, Natilian is my 325... I think it's between those two. I think it's better than Italian, not as good as Star Trek Expeditions. That means my ranking for Star Trek um, Hot Zone, or I'm sorry, no, for Pandemic Hot Zone would be seven point seven two seven, because that means it would be between those other two games, which are seven point seven two five and seven point seven three. That's why, I, that's folks, is how I get all these crazy multi decimal place numbers. I'm just trying to rank things relative to each other. So it would be, a, it would be a seven point seven. All right. Now, where would pandemic be? That's a tough one. Pandemic. Base pandemic. Vanilla pandemic. Nothing else. Oh, boy. Wow. You are pushing me through the ringer. That is tough. Because it is very difficult for me to unwind my nostalgia for pandemic. Pandemic changed my life. I am trying to base it solely, dispassionately and coldly based on my objective perspective on the on the relative gameplay design merits. I'm not only am I taking out all the other stuff, I am taking out the fact that it is the game that literally changed everything for me, that made everything that I do possible. So if I'm taking that out and I'm just judging it, is it better than Maracaibo? No, it is not. It goes down. It is not my top 10. Is it better than Santa Maria? No, it is not. Wow, wow, you are killing me here. Is it better than Role Player? Oh, Pandemic Vanilla versus Role Player. Wow. For our taste, no, Role Player is better. Wow. Oh my gosh, this is killing me. Is it better than Catacombs? Yes, it is. All right. So I've stopped my free fall. Now I got to go up. Is Pandemic Vanilla with no nostalgia better than Amerigo? Oh, but I have to take a nostalgia out of Amerigo too. Wow. Yes, it is better than Amerigo. Is it better than Hawaii? Yes. Is it better than this Warbind? Yes. Uh, walking in. Pro- oh, is it better than Walking in Province? Oh my gosh. This is actually a fun process. I go through this process all the time. I love rating games because this three is fun. Yes. Concordia. Yes. San Juan. Yes. Co two second. Yes. Kanban. Yes. Pret, yes. Uh, Notre Dame, yes. Glass, oh, Glass Road. Whoa. <sighs> yes. 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 I'm climbing back up. Okay. It is. <gasps> targy. I think I hit my line, folks. I think Targy. Taking everything out just as a cold, dispassionate uh, comparison of the strength of Pandemic's design versus Targi. I think Targi beats it, which means Pandemic gets an 8.6475. Oh, you broke my heart. That is not fair. That is not how I feel about Pandemic. But that's how I feel about the mechanisms of Pandemic because I do think objectively Targi is the stronger design. Wow. Oh, you just murdered me, Mario. Oh, you're a monster. That was fun, though. I genuinely enjoyed that. Thanks for the question. Rebecca. Okay, Rebecca has a couple of questions because you have boys age 12, 10, and 7. Oh, good luck with that, Rebecca. Yikes. I'm sure they bring nothing but joy and happiness to your life. (laughs) I mean, it's all great. All righty. If you were going to jump—if you, Rebecca, and your family were going to try to jump into Clank for the first time with the kids, what would you get? I don't know, Rebecca. I don't know any boys 7, 10, and 12. I am I'm sorry, Rebecca. I am going to teach you how to fish and send you off to FAQ.Rado.com. entry number 5, which is really just a link to the recommendation list on Board Game Geek. You should ask. If you go and ask your question there, the way you worded it to me, you will get people who have children, who have boys age 7, 10, and 12, and they are much better suited than me to answer that question. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I guess Clank is fine for a seven-year-old. I genuinely don't know any seven-year-olds. I've, I haven't hung out with any seven-year-olds since I was seven years old, so I can't answer it. But maybe I can answer your next question. They uh, The kids have been loving Century Golem Edition. Wow, they like some dry stuff. And you are looking for uh, getting Eastern Mountains. You know I played Spice Road Editions. I have not played the Spice Road Edition. of. Wait, is Eastern Mountains number two or three? Now I gotta look. I got to look. Eastern Mountain. As... Oh, what is that? That's the second one, isn't it? That's the replacement. It replaces Eastern Wonders. Yeah, it is number two. Okay. All right. Back to this... Again, but it's going to be about seven-year-olds. I can't... Rebecca, I'm sorry. I am not answering your question. I don't know any seven-year-olds. Please go to faq.raw.com, entry number five. I guarantee you, you will get much better answers there than you could from me. Um, because I I just can't speak to seven-year-olds, or 10-year-olds, or 12-year-olds. Alrighty. Nigel wonders about dummy players. He sees the new edition of Seven Wonders that's been announced is listed as a three to seven. Is that true? Tell me that's not true. That's ridiculous. Oh, well, I believe you, Nigel. I have no reason to doubt you. Um, despite the fact that the two-player mode is perfectly fine. Good man. This got me thinking about other games that have co- uh, I've covered that benefit from a dummy player in a two-player game. Between Two Cities, Architects of the West Kingdom, etc. I wonder if you've ever considered a Top 10 Dummy Players video. You're in luck. I have. I did this, I don't know, probably three or four years ago. I believe... What is it? Let's Google it. Rado. I think it's AI. Rado Top 10 AI. Yep. Roto Top Ten Game AIs will give you the answers you seek, Nigel. But let's continue. Um, often, I've highlighted how some games that say they play good with two aren't suited for player count. But it'd be great to get a focus on games with dummy players that people who have mostly play with two player may have otherwise skipped over. Ah, oh, okay, you're asking for something different there. That is an interesting thing. Because actually, that top 10 I did was me just evaluating different types of game AI and how they work, and then I talked about a lot of examples. A real, I'm, I'm actually incredibly proud of that top 10. I think it's one of the best top 10s I ever did. Ooh, you're talking about the very specific... Here's the deal. I think... Seven Wonders two player is objectively spectacular. And anybody who would say otherwise is um, using subjective metrics of I just don't like it. Um and so and that's fine. It's fine for you. I don't mean to imply otherwise, but I think a lot of people say it's a bad design decision when it is not. It is a very well done and well implemented system. And so, yeah, I don't know how often this comes up. There's a lot, but I tend to ignore people who just dismiss things out of hand because they don't like them. He said, hypocritically, because uh, as I just admitted in this very episode, I often dismiss things out of hand because I'm looking for an excuse to. Hey, so that's why I don't really blame people, but it does drive me nuts when people say, no, it's objectively bad. I do not say, back to what I said earlier, that role to resolve is objectively bad. It's just not something that we tend to like. All right, and then you have a picture of Charlie, which Jen loved. So, um, that was my question. Go check out my top 10. I, I suspect you will enjoy the video, Nigel. And that's it. We have done half of the Gamey Gamer questions, but we're not done because I did pull some aside that I think Jen might have some to say. I already know whether she does or not, because we've already answered it. And if you hang out, you will find out too. Hold on. Okay, everybody, Jen is here, and we are going to continue with the gaming questions and answers, although that's from your perspective. From our perspective is (laughs) we are just now sitting down to record the podcast because we're doing everything out of order, because everything revolves around Jen.
1: Everything does.
0: There you go, Uh, including the microphone, which I have now moved very far away from (laughs) so that Jen can be closer to it, and in spite of that, if we look at the uh, audio waveform, my spikes are twice as loud as her little wussy audio spikes.
1: What can I do? I'm a little wussy audio spiker.
0: All right. It'll all work out in the end though with the Levelator is the software we use. After we're done, I just run it through Levelator and Mm. it bumps you up and bumps me down.
1: Levelator and Audacity?
0: Audacity is the name (laughs) of the software. Jen saw me launch the Audacity and she refuses to acknowledge that it is called Audacity. And it. She calls you should it see its logo. City.
1: It's got a cityscape in it. It's Otta City.
0: All right. Then I could be wrong. But anyway, before we get to more questions, I do know there were some questions Jen didn't see that included dog pictures. Oh, dear. So let's go back and look at those we really We just got to get those up and Here's done. Here's Yo-Yo and Yuki, who I think we've seen yeah, we before. we
1: saw them last time, didn't we? Oh, yes, we did. Lovely.
0: Yep. So That's, cute. That almost looks like a cartoon. Quite frankly. Yep. Um, Two
1: adorable Yorkies.
0: Yep. In perfect, synchronized head caulking in the sun. Yep. That's what you're seeing, folks. You're missing all of it.
1: I don't know why you can't put a little something in the something. Somewhere. Uh, we
0: could be recording all of this, except you refuse to oh. let me turn the camera on.
1: No, I don't want that.
0: There you go. I wonder why it doesn't happen. <laughs> Let's see. And then, meanwhile, Kevin sent some pictures of...
1: Oh, Happy. their sweetnesses.
0: Yep, that's... Alrighty. And there's another one.
1: Very cool.
0: Yep. And what are these dogs would you say, honey?
1: Ooh. Oh uh,
0: not immediately apparent.
1: No, terrier mix I'd say.
0: Alright. Well they were adorable too. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah. And yeah, let's see, I think there was one more. Alright, yep, one more. And there's Charlie. Charlie. Charlie looks like a golden lab. Very happy to be out in a grassy field, ready to chase something that is just off camera. He
1: just looks like sunshine, doesn't he? (laughs) Just sunshine and happiness. All
0: right. Thank you, Nigel and Kevin and um, uh, Melanie. Jen appreciates it. But now we're moving on to the game-related questions. Okay. Okay. Starting with, and again, these were questions that I pulled out that I could have done myself in the section that I've yet to record, but you've already heard. But I thought Jen might have (laughs) something to say about some of these when I looked at them when they originally came in and I was putting them in different directories. So, Honey Pie, what board game, asks Baz... What themes would you like to see more of? Uh, this one, because Jen, uh, like every day it feels like she says, oh, I want to see more of that one and then that one. So Jen can actually answer this question. What board game themes would you like to see more of, Honey Pie?
1: Well, we were just playing that butterfly game yesterday. Yes. That a, did I just
0: So Jen wants to see more anything? butterflies.
1: No, but the, the theme of the game was that you were collecting these butterflies to take them to somewhere else and conserve them rather than just to collect them. And uh, that, they're, that they're, wherever they were living was going to be, was it a housing development or something
0: like well, that? Well, no, yeah. No, it was really, it was very interesting. I thought it was very cool. I'll definitely talk about this when I cover the game, um, because it's a remake uh, from Steve Finn. <coughs> ah, excuse me, of uh, Butterfly Garden, which we covered many years ago uh, when we were still in Malta. And at that point, the theme was, you're just going out to a field and collecting butterflies. And that was it pretty yeah. much, or I think oh, and you 're going to transfer you 're going to transfer them to a butterfly garden, and that was it hmm. and it's like, uh, okay, that might as well just be abstract, but with this revamping the second edition he 's putting on Kickstarter this month, uh, you know the art got completely redone, so it was suddenly gorgeous, and the theme was rewritten in addition to the gameplay mechanisms changing a bit, but now it 's uh, the i forget what exactly it says, but it was worse the effect of. Uh, due to ongoing construction in the town you live in butterfly habitats are in danger solve the problem by going out capturing them and transferring them to one of three different four it was three uh, four different types of enclosures and it was butterfly gardens and you, a know, zoo. You, know, you know but like you know these places that were dedicated and it's like that was really fascinating to me the idea of taking what was originally just a completely abstract game and turning it into a really compelling um, theme because all of a sudden we're heroes. Yep. There wasn't this kind of a oh we're just like capturing butterflies mm-hmm. and, and and doing whatever and who cares it's all just thematic too. I mean and all it required was just the tiniest change in, in in just the intro text to suddenly really engage us on a much deeper level and I thought that was fascinating. Yep. And it prompted Jen to say
1: I want to have more I guess socially aware kinds yeah. of games where yeah. you you're doing something for a reason and you're thinking about what you're doing, as yeah. opposed to just, oh, yeah, I'm collecting this stuff and taking it over Well, we're
0: your-. always doing something for a reason, but it's always either to increase our prestige or <laughs> our money. Yeah. I mean, it, it pretty, in 90% of all the games we play, that's pretty much what it is. Yep. Get more prestigious or get more rich. Yep. And, I mean, uh, there's only
1: one game in the world that inherits one where you're supposed to spend down.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I thought that was really interesting. And you had said something prior to that, just a few days previous as well. What was that? You remember now? It was we played some other game and I said, think it
1: was more about future technologies yes no yeah. it
0: was it was a game that I don't remember, I don't, can't remember which one it was but it was something where it was either developing or we were in the future and because of the circumstances and and but it was it was basically an upbeat vision of the future right it was a post scarcity world we were in and you want to see more of that yep uh, less about the struggle more about the having made it Kind of thing.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, and what's that world like? Yeah, I would like to. I would like people to be role playing and thinking about how they would want to have,
0: <sighs> instead of about life. how terrible everything is. Yeah. So that. Uh, I, yeah, this is why, Baz, because I mean, you know, if it, coincidentally, you asked and Jen had an answer on the spot, and I think those are both great answers. If a board game company approached us and offered to design a game with a theme, what would it be? Well, I think yep. that's just another way to ask the same question, Baz. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, right. Oh, Baz also went on to come up with some examples of themes that, yeah, that he thought we might like. A siphon filter-themed board game. No. Jen wouldn't care for that at all. I uh, um, she might not even play it with me, quite frankly. Too many guns. She still feels a little uneasy about so much of our financial um, success in life was due to an incredibly hyper-violent video game. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most violent of its age, quite frankly. Uh, but how about racing around the the world, or racing around the board game world board game in a bongo camper van?
1: Oh, there you go.
0: Would you like that? Sure. Camper van um, travels? Sure. Yeah. righty. And then Baz has some more, but he'll be back later with the, in the personal section. Moving right along. Daniel wonders. Um, oh yeah, this was definitely I thought I would definitely interesting what Jen thinks because I, I think he's identified something and I think he's right. In our opinion, honey pie, why do most gamers prefer fantasy to science fiction? Now by he means board gamers. I don't know that this is necessarily the case in video game world. You know, science fiction. Science fiction exists in board gaming, but it seems much less prevalent than fantasy settings. Yeah. Daniel goes on, it uh, feels like the ratio is 80-20 in favor of fantasy based on what will sell better. Uh, and then he asks, "Is it the same with video games?" I don't think that's the case with video games at all. I think um, you can make a very strong argument that they are. There's a lot more parity, or maybe even it it um, supports. I mean, Halo is nothing to sneeze at, quite frankly. So I, I would certainly say, um, you know, there's a lot. There's much more balance in terms of success. And uh yeah I don't know why would you can you can you hypothesize you've been to playing conventions you talked to lots of gamers yeah. why
1: I think it's because probably board gaming started with D&D mm. and um it's just easy to build on historical fantasy okay and I think it's less easy to look ahead and and create a, a whole new world I think it's it's probably fairly well, well I don't. It's relatively easy to go back and say, "Oh well, let's you know, build on Tolkien's work." Right. So or, you're
0: you're you are suggesting two possible explanations.
1: Well, I've got a third one. All right. Then, and the third I one really is. I really dug
0: your first one. Your second one, I don't know about, but let's hear your third one.
1: Okay. Third one is is it's so, so much easier to design stuff if mm-hmm. in a historical context than it would be to design what we haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. And especially with board gaming, how are you going to design some futuristic something? Mm. Um, that might be sparkly and whizzy and um, blinky and who knows what.
0: This is just a rewording of your second one.
1: No, I'm saying actually the physical components. Oh. And and the actual design and the look of the game, it's it's easier to go back and just tweak historical stuff, like steampunk would, mm-hmm. than to come up with a whole new everything. Hmm. Um.
0: I don't know. I. Like I said, your your opener, I thought that was incredibly strong and very insightful that there is just a history to tabletop gaming. Hmm. That um Dungeons and Dragons is insanely influential and following on that, so is Magic the Gathering. Yeah. Those two combined, I mean, that must represent or if you look at over the history of non-mass market games, that's got to be 70-80% of mm. Of, you know, just overall impact on the industry, those two titles they are both high fantasy, both of them are derived, as Jen said, from Tolkien and similar and type stuff. EverQuest, well, yeah, EverQuest is a video game. Well, I know, but...
1: but I'm just saying, yet again, another huge mega hit,
0: sure. Um, I, yes, I suppose. Um, but Star Wars is every bit as big as and star trek are i mean yeah. there i i i i think pop culture awareness of science fiction is a science fiction on the whole is a much bigger impact on mainstream pop culture quite frankly high fantasy was unheard of um to muggles until the lord of the Rings films and um Game of Thrones and harry potter that was a triple threat that all came out basically within a few years of each other. Hmm. And prior to that triple hit, pop, you know, I mean, my mom didn't have any concept of what a goblin or a troll or an orc would be. Are you sure? I am absolutely certain. I am, and I think the vast majority, but everybody knows about Star Wars and everybody knows about Star Trek. I think science fiction has a much bigger pop culture uh, impact than fantasy did. And fantasy, while you might think, oh, these days it does, no, it really doesn't three specific mm. uh, very specific things do and other movies and TV shows have tried to capitalize off the success of those three big ones mm. and nothing has come along uh to to emulate it yes there's the witcher on netflix but that's that's uh you know that that's a uh, poor man's uh, Game of Thrones at best. And I think the video game industry, by and large, science fiction has a huge, huge impact and breakthrough because of the establishment of Star Wars and James Cameron's Aliens. James Cameron's Aliens has such an amazing impact on the video game industry. It is maybe the single most impactful um, pop culture moment I know Personally, because I knew so many of my fellow designers were so... Everybody was chasing after trying to recreate that movie because it was such a big part of their childhood. Can
1: I say something funny? What's that? I saw a meme on Facebook the other day that had the picture of the Aliens crew. Yeah? That... um... One person got infected. Yeah. One person broke quarantine. <laughs> Everybody died except for one person. <laughs> and I thought, oh dear. Okay. There you go.
0: There you go. Um, so that would be a case of science fiction memeing instead of <laughs> fantasy memeing. Yep. Fantasy meme has pretty much just has Boromir cannot simply walk into X. And that's yep. about it. Um, as opposed to a million Star Trek and whatnot memes. So, But board games are different. And honestly... I think Jen nailed it with Dungeons & Dragons, yep. with the addition of Magic the Gathering. I think we are in such a different um, echo chamber than all of these other formats. Mm. And it's not that uh, board gamers don't love Star Wars as well, but it's uh, Star Wars is not a foundation stone of the industry in the way Dungeons and & Dragons and Magic the Gathering are. I think that's what it comes down to. Jen's other point that oh, arguably it requires a a bigger leap of imagination. I don't know if that's really true because the reality is most science fiction is interchangeable with fantasy. Uh, um, you know, it, it's it's rare that you get really hard science fiction that is based on you know really in depth study and um,
1: yeah. But I've been reading books about that and or books that have been uh, incorporating that. Oh yeah, yeah, it's and no, and that's amazing. Yes, it yeah, is. I it's really it's like
0: amazing. It. But I don't think that stuff. Um, I mean, most people consider Star Wars to be science fiction when it's not. It's high fantasy, and they just replaced regular with flaming swords with Mm -hmm. laser swords, you know. Um, But I think Jen nailed it, and honestly, I don't know if I would have had the answer. But yeah, it's Dungeons and Dragons and Magic Gathering, I think 100%. Good job, Honey Pie. Thank you. Okay. Um, Right, and let's see, was there anything else? Do you, honey, prefer fantasy or an original setting? And he didn't say what he means by an original setting. Uh, I I guess take that however you want.
1: I don't know. I I would say it's a case-by-case basis. I mean,
0: you love fantasy too. Would you rather play a science fiction or a fantasy-based board game? Which way do you lean? All things being equal, I mean, a game could literally be the exact same game mechanically. Mm. And it's just they said, oh, well, it's set in the year 2742. Or it's set in the year, you know, fantasy... 87, you know, or whatever. And, but, but functionally, it's the same stuff. There's still conflict. There's still tr- uh, journey. There's still adventure. And, you know, it's just different art. Which yeah. would you prefer, do you think?
1: I'm going to say, I'm, I'm really feeling the go forward thing. I'm yeah. going to say science fiction.
0: I don't think you would have said that six months ago. Maybe not. Mm-hmm.
1: But I'm, yeah, I'm just, maybe it's because we've been mired in muck.
0: <laughs> I just
1: want to move forward.
0: Okay. All righty. Well, there you go. Um, uh, let's see. Then there is a gaming and morality question. Ooh! Although, that's uh, because I think this gets into choppy waters, as Daniel is wont to do, as he knows. Uh, Daniel's a troublemaker. He always Ooh. asks all the political questions. Uh, philosophical question. Hypothetically. Daniel has a, re- a hypothetical religious friend that he shows Mage Knight to. The, the friend loves it. It's one of their favorite games. But Daniel deliberately doesn't mention that you can burn monasteries in Mage Knight knowing they'd be bothered by the existence of that rule and they wouldn't play the game. Or no, so so far he hasn't introduced it at all, but this is... He, he knows the player would like it. Should Daniel tell them about the rule knowing that they would stop playing... wait a minute. What? Knowing they would stop playing the game and never... Or, or never mention it knowing they will never find out. How could they never find out, Daniel? The cheap answer, tell them and see how they react, is not allowed. Just for clarity, I have no religious friend. This is all hypothetical. Well, first of all, you have a really weird hypothetical that <laughs> there's a major portion of the game. I guess you're just lying and you say... I mean, because it's not like... I don't think if I recall correctly, there's any flame token. So Daniel could have taught them that, Oh, look, you can, you can conquer this castle. As opposed to thematically, you are literally raising it. Um, so what should Daniel do? I say teach it, and I say yeah. If if you can present it in such a way that they don't have to be, they don't have to face the thing that they are uncomfortable with. I mean, what a shame it would be to deny them a game they really love. Um, mm. You know, and because, and at the end of the day, who cares? All board games are abstract. It's just a question of how much. Because at no point in any board game have I ever actually picked up a sword and chopped anybody's heads off or shot anybody.
1: You've never done that. Never. All right. The
0: closest we've got was Sword Crafters, where we actually do craft a sword, but there was never any heat of the iron. We just like slotted (laughs) little uh, pieces of cardboard together. So again, it's abstracted. So, what's one more abstraction if it means that person's life can be improved and they can be. They can find something that sparks joy, why not do it? Now, as I was saying that, Jen was kind of scrunching her nose up as if no, so do you have a counter? do you have a rebuttal?
1: I think there's a general thought about yeah what what do you what do you gloss over and i I'm not sure about that. I suppose it's a fairly it's that, a uh, that's a minor transgression.
0: Well the thing is, in this particular case, it's really weird. It is a very odd anachronism in this game. Yeah. That pretty much everything about this game is just going and raiding dungeons and fighting evil monsters and um you know leveling your character up and getting loot and building your deck up and getting more powerful. Oh and also by the way, you can completely burn monasteries down. And it really is kind of okay. out of it it's I'm not saying it's inappropriate to exist, because it's certainly something you could do. Because uh, arguably, you do not play a good or a bad person. The game doesn't really apply any morals to anything you do. I mean, you're mostly just trying to get stronger. And um, there's just different things you can do. And one of them is burn a town down and um, and that town is no longer a, a resource-generating thing. If I recall correctly, it's been a long time since I played, but I think that's the case. And it is weird, because it didn't have to be that. Yeah. It could have easily been abstracted into a million different things. And it's just this very strange, yeah, you can do a bunch of stuff that's largely considered good, but the game doesn't really give you any moral qualifications. And then you can do this one thing that is objectively evil. And more so I mean it's, it's it's violence directly against organized religion specifically and it's just really strange and yeah I I don't know why it's there to begin with so that gives you a bit more context about yeah. this yeah I
1: mean. uh I don't know I, that's, that's a hard one if
0: I mean. you um, if you were teaching your friend Elise and you thought she'd love the game would you teach her and say oh and by the way you can do this?" Or would you just say, and you can interact with the town, and once you've done that, uh, the town doesn't produce stuff anymore. And they're none the wiser.
1: Well, I suppose that is how I would prefer to do it. Yeah? Yeah.
0: you lie to them, your best friend. You heard it here first, Daniel. <laughs> oh. you've, uh, you've gotten to the bottom of it. I don't know. It's, uh, yeah.
1: <sighs> I guess that goes with part of what, kind of television i like to watch though i mean i just don't really need in my face stressful horrible things that i will never get out of my head yep so i guess if you were teaching me a game would i want you to tell me this there you go that's a good I question wouldn't. i wouldn't you would not rather
0: want. i didn't if yeah. i thought it was a game you'd really enjoy yeah
1: i think i would just rather say oh well yeah you've interacted with the town you've gotten the resources from the town That's all that that town can provide, so you move on.
0: Again, I might be mischaracterizing, but it's something like that. I haven't played the game for probably, what, five years at least. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Now I'm thinking about it. I'm actually, would I do that or would I say, look, now here's the thing. Here's the one thing I haven't told you about the game yet. And you understand, this is really weird and it makes no sense in the context of everything else I just told you. Mm -hmm. You can burn that monastery to the ground. But now, here's the deal. There's nothing in the game that says that. So how about we agree that's not what's really happening? Instead, you are um, you're know, getting help and support from them, and now they're exhausted and they can't help anybody else. And that you could go that way. I think maybe that would be my inclination. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to, but I think maybe I'd feel weird if I didn't. Plus, I'm a motormouth. I tend to overexplain explain everything. <laughs> yes. So I think... Even if that were my intent to just say, hey, well, let's just gloss over that, I probably wouldn't, and I'd probably over-explain anyway. Mm-hmm. I think that's... I'd have an intention to do something, but then when I actually di- got there, I would do the other thing. That's probably what would happen. Interesting question. All right. Then we've got Brian, who wonders, why do Jen and I dislike dice more than cards? Meaning, in something like AlterQuest versus Gloomhaven, Uh, which is to say, hey, we figure out how we're going to attack these monsters, and in um, Alter Quest, we roll the dice to see if it works, and in Gloomhaven, we draw the card and see if it works. Mm. I know the answer, but I'm curious if Jen has an answer. I
1: think your answer is because dice are always 100% random, Mm -hmm. and the card, the deck, we know what's in the deck. Mm -hmm. So you at least have a better slight amount of control over what might come out, because you can stack the deck. Yes. With blessings and curses and things,
0: and you can also count the cards. And we know
1: mm-hmm.
0: now is not the good time to burn that because you know what the the whiff card hasn't come out yet. And there's a four, a twenty five percent chance. We are down to four cards. Yep. We can't afford to do that. Even at a twenty percent chance, we can't waste your best move. Let's hold on to that. The 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 structure of Gloomhaven makes the game deeper and richer. If that were just replaced with a die. Um, a 12-sided die that says it's one of these 12 things the monsters will do and there's absolutely no predictive ability to it whatsoever, that would make the game significantly weaker on a tactical and strategic level. Yep. That's basically, what it boils down to. I agree. Plus, a die doesn't let you do fun stuff like change the nature of the deck over time. Um, you know, which is a cool part about our decks that our decks aren't oh, static, we've they grow and we game. call them and stuff like that. Yeah,
1: we've had some games where so you
0: dice could do that, but um, very few die, yeah, there are very few games that have customizable dice. Um, so it comes down to that. Um, also, to be fair, another thing about Gloomhaven is. Um, eighty percent of the results of our decision is deterministic. Um, you know, our our attack is going to do four points of damage, mm. split amongst two enemies, and maybe there will be a plus one, maybe there'll be a minus one. Chances are, it's just going to do what it says. Mm. Um, so that's an important thing to bear in mind too. Uh, I you know I, if if Gloomhaven had dice. I'd find them a lot less onerous if the dice were plus one minus ones. But I'd still rather they be cards so we can actually gauge probabilistic likelihood, which is a big part of what Jen and I do. Yep. We enjoy that extra level of depth that cards bring that a die fundamentally cannot. Agreed. Um, going on, Brian wonders, does Legacy make everything better?
1: Mm. Where
0: could it backfire? Uh. Of course, we just finished another Legacy game, that My City game, where, yep. and we loved it.
1: Yep. I think it does make everything better. I like that things customize and move on and you're always doing new stuff with the same thing. Mm-hmm. I like it.
0: You cannot think of a way that Legacy could make a game worse. Um, and it's okay. I mean, you don't have to have an answer to all these. I know these ones yeah. were things I thought maybe you'd have something to say, but you're not obligated to.
1: Yeah. No, I think every Legacy game that, I, that we've played, and I'm thinking about, um, what was that one with the clouds?
0: Uh, Charterstone.
1: Charterstone. I'm thinking about the pandemics that we've enjoyed.
0: Aeon's End was a legacy game. Uh, Rise of Queensdale. Yep. Well, um, My City we just played. I think we've played six or seven at this point.
1: And I can't think of, well, what's, what are those ones with, um, remember the, the time, time wise, the time where you'd go back and you'd have the, we'd roll the dice and it would take two time away from us and Bob.
0: Oh, uh, those are time stories.
1: Time stories. Those are kind of legacy, aren't they?
0: No, they don't. I, only at the most extreme, because arguably there were some cards we were supposed to rip up and we never did. Um, well, but no, they, I mean, no, those they, are, I mean, there's a difference between a legacy game and a campaign play. Campaign play just means you play it over uh, multiple sessions, okay. legacy means you do that and the game is permanently forever changed. That is your legacy element that you destroy things, you sticker things, you uh-huh. or what have you. Um, And, I mean, I mean, obviously a lot of people hate Legacy because they don't want to see the game change.
1: But didn't Time Stories have some legacy in that we had to make some decisions where we went with that group or this group?
0: Yes, but nothing about the game fundamentally changed. Uh, it was still, we made a choice. We were supposed to pull a card. I was supposed to have a card mm. that said that I was basically... I won't say what, but effectively I was kind of a possessed player, and and at some point in the future I knew that was going to come back and haunt us because of a choice I had made at one point. But still, we didn't destroy any cards. We just kept stuff aside.
1: Yeah, And
0: And that's as far as they took it for the most part. Yeah. So the one place where we have found it backfires, and maybe Jen doesn't feel this way. Remember we played Clank Acquisitions Incorporated, which was a legacy game. And it was the really funny one, just like at Constant Jokes, it was the two-sided board. We were, did the above ground and then the below ground, and there was the other guild that we were racing against. And um,
1: There's so many Clanks. I'm trying to remember yes. that particular one. Yeah,
0: yeah, we played a bunch of Clanks since that as well, so it's hard to remember. But the big thing about that was that one had tons of changes to the game that happened in the middle of play. They're like, okay, oh, look, you just got to that place, and we read this thing in the book, and oh, I have to put 20 stickers on the board now. And they're really big, hard stickers. Honey, you should come back in 20 minutes. This is going to take a while for me to unpack all this stuff and learn all these new rules that get spooled out in the middle of play. And honestly, I think it went too far. Now, maybe Jen didn't care, because that just meant she had to go off and make some tea. And she came back, and I told her, okay, here's how the entire game has changed now in the middle of the game. And by the way, you'd only done the, you still have two more actions to do. (laughs)
1: what was your train of thought?
0: Yeah. That, and th- So that was a problem. It wasn't the end of the world, but I mean, it could have been done better. But that's the only place I've seen it backfire. Okay. Um. Let's see. Honey, what's your best or your worst trend in gaming today?
1: Best and worst trends?
0: Yep. You play a lot of games, oh. you see those trends, um, but you promptly forget about them.
1: I like the roll and rights. I think that's a trend that's, that's All right. really you,
0: cool. That is the best trend.
1: I enjoy that very much. All right. And the worst trend?
0: It's okay if you don't have an answer. Yeah. You okay. don't even have to be here for this section. We're not even to the personal <laughs> stuff yet.
1: Okay. I don't know what the worst trend is. Um, I like Royal rights 2 a
0: lot. I, I, And I love Legacy. There's a lot of things. I love digital integration into board games. Um, there's a million things I could say that I love, trend-wise. Not that necessarily all of them are trending, because things are often hard to do. And I tend to forget about things I don't like. Because uh, I don't dwell on that. One thing that's fairly fresh in my mind, because it came up in the other day when we played Alma Mater, which is laid out in front of us, I am so sick and tired of starting game with drafting. Mm. Hey, let's play a 15-minute mini-game of drafting. It feels like the designers couldn't be bothered to do the extra bit of work to come up with, hey, here's five different setups, pick one. Or, you know, here's a more elaborate system. Nope, nope. You've got to make a whole bunch of choices. Yep. Now, I mean, it's kind of hypocritical for me to complain about that because we love Agricola. Agricola starts out with, hey, here's 21 cards. Whittle it down to 14.
1: Yeah, but we've, we've found workarounds for that.
0: Well, no, I mean, it's, a, it's, not a, it's, it's official. I mean, we, the way we do it is an official oh. variant. The official way you're supposed to play Pandemic is the exact same thing here's um, seven cards, do um, seven rounds of drafting, and then here's seven more cards, do seven more rounds of drafting. Mm. That's officially the way you're supposed to play Pandemic, and it's ridiculous. And, and plenty of other games do that to a lesser degree, but Pandemic did have the alternative, oh, look, here's a whole bunch of cards, whittle it down to the ones you want. I'm not bothered by that. I wish Alma Mater had done that. A full-on, playing a completely different drafting game, I'm sick of it. Um, and it feels kind of lazy to me. So that but that's just fresh in my mind if you'd asked me two weeks from now I probably wouldn't have thought of that all right um, Gerald is here Ooh. and he italicized his his name so I wouldn't pronounce it incorrectly uh, do we enjoy Kanban with mean or nice Sandra are we sharks in the boardroom uh, uh, if I if we have a lot of seats will we Talk first about our goals uh, that we did poorly on, so that Jen did amazing, or would you leave those nicely for her? All right. um, You don't remember Kanban. It's okay. Really, the fundamental question here is... uh, This is a thing I I, I talk about a lot. uh, How we don't want to attack each other, Mm -hmm. but we don't mind if the game is cruel to us. I should... Every time I say that, I should say, I'm speaking for myself, (laughs) and I think I'm speaking for you. But I don't know if that's true. Like, Peleponies. Yeah. A lot of people hate Peleponies. That's the game where it's um, you know we're, we're building our tiles to the left or the right. We put our landscapes to uh, the left, yes. our cities to the right. Yes. And over time, disasters get closer and closer and closer. And you can see them coming and you have to prepare for them. Yep. And if you don't do it in time, you'll lose stuff. Yep. A lot of people hate that game because the game is mean to me. I don't want that to happen. But I really enjoy that. I like it. I don't want to attack you, but I like it when a game attacks me and it creates problems that I have to solve. I've always kind of put words in your mouth. That I assume you like that too, but maybe you don't.
1: I do. I think I do. All right. Yep. And maybe it's because that's just, we play games that way anyway. It's a little bit more solitary. Mm hmm. So.
0: That is a good, and I think that is one of the reasons because. We, ne- we, we, we avoid games where we do that to each other, but we do like having problems to solve. Yeah, of course. And we, we don't want to be the problem that each other has to solve. <laughs> right. um, so that's just our pre- personal preference. And that, but he uh, continued with that. You Kanban know, uh, is a game where right, it's a worker placement game. It's, it's the car, car manufacturing one. game. Oh, you do remember it. Yeah. Okay. Where uh, you basically choose whether our manager is going to be very laxadaisical and gives us easy targets to hit or gives us very, very hard targets to hit. If we don't, the game will punish us. Mm. And we've played it both ways. The first time we played it, we played it with Nice Sandra. The second time we played it with Mean Sandra. I don't think I asked Jen. I know I preferred it as Mean Sandra because, again, we had to work harder. And the game really made us sweat. And I don't. I'm sure Jen can't remember the difference. But which would if I if I gave you the option? And we're gonna hey, honey, we're gonna play Kanban again. And remember, God choose well, is, is you it Mean do. Sandra or Nice Sandra?
1: You give me the option when you say we're gonna play this game, and we could have this, 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 and this. I want to play with all of them, and I'm like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> so that's I, I guess I want Mean Sandra too.
0: All right, okay, well there you go. Um, uh, Gerald continues. We are Care Bears to other players, but we absolutely love games that attack us or are aggressive towards us. Question mark. Uh, And yes, I think we just answered that question. Design-wise, why do you think this enhances a game in general or enhances a game for a Care Bear? You know, examples. Agricola pushes you on food. uh, Twa pushes with negative events and dice taken away from you. Nations has events and threat of war. Peleponies has disasters. Dungeon Pets has pets that can escape or they're pooping and getting sick. Energy Empire has pollution we have to manage. Pandemic, Shadowrun, Gloomhaven, Black Angel, Forbidden Desert. Ellipse. Why are we drawn towards these? Design-wise, why do we think this enhances the game? Why do we go for a game that's mean for us? And I think you hit on it, because I didn't proffer you to say it. Mm-hmm. You said, because we don't hit each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But obviously, we do want to have some problems to solve so that we feel like we've done something with ourselves.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, it's um like what we played Alubari the other day which was a nice cup of tea. It was the remake of Snedonia. Yes. And for the first few rounds, we're like, wow, this is really great. Look at all this amazing stuff we're doing. We're mm-hmm. using the chai, and we're getting all these double actions, and, mm-hmm. and we're just like, we're incredibly powerful. And we got about halfway through the game, we're like, oh my god, we're only halfway through this game? Yeah. And it's just going to keep going like this? It was almost like saccharine overload. It was it was just crazy, and we we're like, oh, I just don't know if we can keep going. Uh, the game should be over by now. Yeah. And um, because it didn't push us, it didn't challenge us. It just kept giving and giving and giving. And I mean, I th- I think you felt the same way. Well, you didn't articulate. It, you just said, "Oh my God, we're only halfway through. Isn't it done by now? Look at everything I've done. Yeah. And we're gonna do more. This is crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it, I had I had done my couple of things that I'd set aside to do,
0: which <laughs> was all you expected to do because you don't expect to get much done. <laughs> quite frankly.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. But why? Why do we find that? We, we've identified that we both agree. Mm-hmm. I was a bit nervous. This is why I put this question in. I was nervous, Jen might say, Actually, I've never really said, but it'd really be nice if the game stopped being so mean to us.
1: <laughs> well, that's what I say that for co op games. That's, and that's, yeah, you know, that's a really mean.
0: weird, inconsistent thing. Yeah. If the meaner a co op game is, the more you dislike it. The meaner a competitive game is, you don't seem to have a problem yeah. or you respond to it. Maybe Can you because identify that? Whereas me, I love a mean co-op. I love a game that just is brutal.
1: I do not like what? feeling like there's no chance. I need to feel like there's a-
0: <laughs> Then you know what she just articulated? She doesn't mind it um, when it's a competitive game because she knows she's going to win anyway because <laughs> she's playing against me.
1: No, I didn't say <laughs> You
0: just that. said, it's because I know there's no chance. I don't want to go on. So if there was no chance you could win against me...
1: Oh, well, I guess maybe that is it then.
0: I didn't expect her to admit that so readily.
1: Well, (laughs) because we could both lose together in a mean co-op, right? Yes. So, and that's I find those overwhelming and not much fun. Yeah. But I, I guess maybe I just.
0: But you find it, you you. I mean, Peloponnes doesn't have to have those disasters. It could just be one hundred percent about oh, just build our landscapes and get the stuff to build our cities and score points and increase our income, and nothing yet ever gets in our way.
1: Yes, but I think like life, you got to have challenges in life, and you got to have stuff that you overcome,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: Or other- otherwise, would you just-
0: suggest there is a competitive game that could be too punishing?
1: I'm sure there must be.
0: I don't. I can't think of one. I can't think of a time you have ever said, "Oh my God, this game just won't cut me a break."
1: Hmm. Well, I don't know. and you and you are very quick. To, you are
0: very quick to say that, and very quick jump to conclusions with co ops. That after like the second round, <laughs> oh my god, I feel like no, we're getting stronger.
1: No, we're dying. We have no resources. We have nothing. <laughs> this is horrible. Yep,
0: and you just want to quit. And yep. then sometimes she does, and then I just have to go on ahead and play it solo yep. so I can finish it. Because
1: I'm like, this is
0: and just- I'm like, yeah, I won. Like I told you, <laughs> if you just would have stuck it out, I
1: can't. It's depressing. Yeah,
0: it's weird. So can you articulate why it enhances the game for the game to beat up on us if it's not a co-op?
1: I think it's because it's like the hero's tale. You just got to get through the stuff you got to get through to get to the other side. All right. And if there's no stuff to get through, it's like you said, drama. You always Mm -hmm. have to have something to create drama. Yep. All right. TV shows.
0: Well, that, folks, was it for gaming-related questions with Jen. And now, if you hold on, we'll be right back. For the personal stuff, unless you don't want to hear about any squishy, personally things, uh, in which case we'll just say goodbye right now. Hope you enjoyed the show. As always, questions questions at raw Have a very nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye bye. Bye bye. And now, hang on. All righty, folks, welcome back. Uh, Beagles have joined us. They are circulating. <laughs> I don't know if I care for this because Gert sheds a lot. And he might not stay for long, but we'll see how all this goes. And Mark wonders, <clears throat> having listened to the live q and I did with Scott Alden... I. Uh, I still
1: need to listen to that. I can't believe it. I haven't. I haven't done it yet. It's been like a month.
0: I would assume you know most of it.
1: Well, you know, but you said he asked you really good questions. He did. Yeah, he did. So, it was very good. It was very good. Okay,
0: um, folks, if you want to hear this that Mark is talking about, just do a Google search for Roto, Um Scott Alden questions. I don't know something like that.
1: Let's we'll see what comes up.
0: Uh, nope, that didn't do it. Uh, try RADO Virtual Con QA.
1: Virtual.
0: Virtual Convention QA. Because it was for the virtual convention and we did a QA. Let's see if that comes up. Uh, nope. All right, tell you what, folks. Just go to Rotto.com and scroll down about halfway down the page into my interviews and events, and you'll see a link to it there. It's hard to miss rada.com scroll down to interviews and events Jen's doing this now and uh there it is it's I oh I was the Aldi show
1: A-L-D-I-E I was on. The show.
0: Aldi show but okay. just go to raw.com scroll down a little bit interviews and events at least now two Five
1: hours e- jeez yeah.
0: well you can watch it double speed <sighs> yeah
1: you think I got two hours to sit around and watch you talk
0: um I bid put it on the podcast so you could <laughs> listen to it as you are gardening perhaps yes alrighty anyway though uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. You guys have all heard it because you're listening to this on the podcast, obviously. And I put it on the podcast channel. So you've all heard this. Anyway, let's continue. Uh, sorry. That was a bit of a side step. <laughs> all righty. You appreciated my responses, uh, citing my Care Bear tendencies, and it prompted Mark the following question. Am I an empath? And have I heard of the term Deanna Troy. Oh, uh, I, I obviously yes. Uh, Deanna Troy, the counselor on Star Trek: The Next Generation, was referred to as an empath. I assume that's not what you mean, though. Mark's sister recently came across Judith Orloff's book, The Empath Survival Guide. Uh, she has a self-assessment test that asks questions like, Do I absorb other people's stress, emotions, or symptoms? Do crowds drain me? Do I need alone time to myself? Do I prefer one-to-one interactions in small groups to large gatherings, etc.? This is a new term, and it certainly was to Mark. He recommends looking into it. A quote from Orloff's book that he particularly enjoyed, quoting David Orr, an environmentalist, The planet does not need more successful people. The planet desperately needs more peacemakers, healers, restorers, storytellers, and lovers of all kind. It needs people to live well in their places. It needs people with moral courage willing to join the struggle to make the world habitable and humane. And these qualities have little to do with success success as our culture defines it. Mark feels that Jen and I live our lives in this way and thanks us for modeling this for Mark and others. Well, thank you, Mark. That's very kind.
1: That's very nice.
0: Um, I'm not familiar with Judith Orloff's book. I guess I, I would like to think, yes, I am very empathic. I do tend to really focus on the needs and feelings and concerns of others, and I tend to carry that. I mean, I still, to this day, will get a, you know an uncomfortable shiver every time I think back to, let's see, like, like 20 years ago now, the one time I ever shouted at a coworker because they're like, you just need to do what I'm... Oops! Sorry, folks. I don't curse on the show. Uh, I'm gonna have to bleep that. But I—he really broke me down, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And I uh, carry that around with me, and I, you know, and it, it informed me for the rest of my professional career. And I still wonder if it had a long-term effect on him. And maybe he's completely forgotten about it. I don't know, but I haven't. And
1: maybe you should get in touch with him.
0: Uh, no, I shouldn't, because years later, he went on to be accused of murdering his mail-order bride, and he is in prison now, as I understand it. So, oh probably not going to.
1: No. Uh,
0: yeah. At least that's my understanding. Um, but, uh, I, I, I first time I heard that, I was like, oh my god, was I par- partially responsible for that? I, I don't think I was, but it's my, you know, and just this morning, we were talking about another old co-worker who's died, and I almost started crying about it, thinking about his wife, um... And, uh, yeah, so I do tend to, I think, absorb other people's stress and emotions and symptoms. I, I think I do tend to do that. Um, and I certainly uh, try to stay away from crowds, and I do like to keep to myself. So I think you nailed me. What do you think, honey pie? Yeah. Are you an empath?
1: Um, not as much as you are. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, having lived with you for so long and everything, I have become more and more I've that am- way.
0: I've empathed off on you? Yes. All right. I'm going to need to go back and bleep that for the first time. Um, <laughs> oh, that was bad. All righty. Um, moving right along. To answer my Pomsky question. Hey, do you remember the Pomsky question?
1: Is that a uh, This is from
0: Corey. Corey says, the vet inseminates from a male Pomeranian Oh, oh to a female husky. You must have asked, how ah, did that even happen yes. in
1: some
0: picture? Yes. Oh, okay. It's a, So it's an, a vet insemination from a male Pomeranian to a female husky. Wow. Now, to the questions. Uh-huh. Folks, there's a little FYI for you. <laughs> that
1: was a little... Uh, I don't
0: know if I need to bleep that part out, Pomsky. too.
1: Husky. I, I, I remember sh- that this was an adorable dog. Yes. But let's
0: just
1: have anyway, a look. Little- anyway,
0: while you're looking that up... Mm-hmm. It's an unwritten rule that a question must be asked when sending a dog pick to Jen. And there is... I don't see a dog pick. Oh, I guess this no, must have been a follow I remember you've done the Pomsky. Yep.
1: Because then I said, how does that work?
0: Yep, all right. Okay. What um, Corey was wondering is, how emotional was it for us to kill our first chicken? Uh, Corey is an extreme animal lover, and they're looking to raise hens for eggs, but is unsure you go through with the slaughter.
1: Oh, well, well, first of all, our first chickens got dispatched by a neighbor friend of ours who's a, a survival expert. Yes. For, for Jen
0: children. left; she was gone for the day yeah. <laughs> and came back, and there was just chicken in the freezer. Yep, I did not; I stayed because I felt like felt like I should be a part of it, and not, not that I did it. Um, but I did go down when he was slaughtering them, and you know, he did it in a very humane way. and then it was weird. I, I was gonna stick around and chat with him, although I didn't really know him that well and I'm not a very social guy, but I was trying to as he was plucking them and he did everything. yeah, and I, did we pay him for that? Yes. yeah, okay, so we paid him for that. Uh, not
1: enough though.
0: No, because uh, there was so much blood that it attracted hornets and he was doing battle with hornets all afternoon. It was absolutely miserable. Uh, because apparently Hornets are drawn to blood. Who knew? Uh, so that's something to bear in mind. And um so that was my first introduction, and it was it was pretty much taken care of. But I mean you'll cut to a few years later in Malta. Jen decided, yep, these ones gotta go. This clucker is not sticking around. I don't know why. But do you remember who or why you'd made those decisions?
1: I think it was just time. I think they weren't laying anymore and Yep, it was time to.
0: So we did all our research, and we like, should we get a cone and do the bleed and all of that? And uh, we didn't really want to make a lot of investments in equipment because we weren't planning on doing it all the time. It's not like we yeah. had a factory farm or anything. Yeah,
1: I mean, six chickens every three years or something. Yeah, you don't need a lot of equipment.
0: So, and and honestly, I mean, the the, the way that it seems most people prefer to do it. That it is the most humane way. So you hang them upside down. You put them in a cone. It kind of calms them because they're constrained. You literally cut the carotid artery and they bleed out and they feel a bit of pain, but they mostly just go to sleep. And honestly, I was terrified to approach it that way because I was afraid I would miss the artery. I mean, we looked, we had a hard time finding it and we were like, oh my God, this, we don't want to prolong the suffering. And so ultimately we decided we don't know if we could pull this off effectively. And we don't have anybody here to teach us how to do it. So let's just decapitate. And we figured that would probably be as quick and humane as we could do. And so we would take them one at a time. Jen would kind of hold them and cradle them. Um, no. Which I don't think was necessarily something, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not like they're actual pets, but just try to be a calming influence for them. Yeah. And we just, like, you know, kind of lay their head out. And we had just a very sharp butcher knife, and I would chop their heads off. And Jen would kind of hold them, you know, because yeah. they, they go into like the, the death flapping spasm type thing. And, you know, and I'm sure they are conscious for a little bit. And I'm, and I'm sure that hurts like crazy um, because they've got nerve endings in there. But, you know, but hopefully they lose conscious very quickly. And yeah, you know, we weren't happy about it. It's not like we—I mean, you know, it was—it was a very somber thing to do. Yeah. Um, we were never businesslike about it at all. We took it very, very seriously, and uh, yeah, that's how we went about it. I don't think we cried ever about it or anything like that. But you know, it was—it was just like a very heavy moment, and we took it very seriously. Yep. And then it's also a royal pain. Because Jen read up all. Oh, you got to have the boiling hot, scalding thing so you can put the body in immediately because that'll loosen up the feathers so they're easy to pluck. They're not easy to pluck. They are never easy to pluck. It is a royal pain to pluck a chicken. <laughs> yep. Um, you know. And the weird thing was, um, what was it? Tula, Tula loved whole chicken heads.
1: Oh yes, yeah, she. And we didn't want anything to go to waste.
0: Yeah, we let nothing go to waste. So Tula would eat the entire chicken head. Yep. Uh chomp, 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 chomp. Um, yep. So I guess was, the
1: feathers did go to waste. We would throw those away.
0: Yeah, that's yeah.
1: But what are you going to do with six full chickens worth of feathers? It's I don't not know. like they're down feathers you could put in. The, in a,
0: yeah, in a, in a tiny Maltese island, we didn't have anything we could do with them. So,
1: but everything else we used. Yep, 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 yep. Everything, the feet and the bones and everything, the innards. The dogs got the innards. Yeah. So. So
0: I mean, I I wouldn't say it was emotional. I mean, I'm I'm getting a little emotional thinking about it, but.
1: Well, I'm thinking about our first flock that got killed by the fox remember oh yes a couple days before he moved to malta well
0: the first flock was the one that uh jen's friend dispatched because they they had problems um yeah
1: unfortunately i just didn't know enough about chickens and they they were confined into too small an area and they were cannibalistic towards each other and um pulling each other's feathers out yeah it just it unfortunately i i was a big learning experience yep but they didn't have very nice lives
0: yeah. I mean, Not that we weren't trying, but it just...
1: Oh, yeah. I tried everything. I tried getting them in little chicken blinders, that are like little sun sunglasses that you put on their, their beaks, and it, it actually um, affixes into their nostrils so that they can't see what's in front of them, so they can't pick the chicken, peck the chicken in front of yeah, them. Yeah,
0: because they were all pretty much bald. They were all pretty much eating each other. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they didn't have a lot of space, but...
1: Well, by the time we'd figured out what the problem was, they had tons of space, but mm-hmm. of course, they'd spent six months in close quarters before then, and... Yeah. The pecking order became...
0: Uh, a bit too aggressive.
1: Yeah, and I mean, when you pull out feathers, you get there's a little bit of blood at the bottom of the feather. And so the chickens would eat the feathers, and they got a taste for blood for them. Yeah. So anyway, basically, yeah, we just decided... Uh, yeah, here's the other side was never to be a nice chicken
0: stories from last episode. Uh, we didn't go into the, uh, the bloodthirsty, cannibalistic side of uh, re- rearing chickens at home. The That's other. true. Yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: that was the first flock, though, and I didn't yeah. know any better. The
0: second flock... Was a flock that we, you know, um, or no, yeah. So the second flock we got, and it was going much better. Yep. And well, we had all the
1: everything figured out from the first flock.
0: Yep. And um, it was, again, it was another six, and we went out there one morning, and they'd all been wiped out by foxes.
1: Yep. The fox had just come in and killed them all. Yep. Um, so there was bodies all over the place. Yeah. And we ended up. Just and honestly, that
0: them. was very emotional because the really yeah. bad thing was the fox will go in and kill everything and take nothing. Yep. And so all of those chickens' lives were lost for nothing. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons we were able to reconcile what is, you know, at its heart, uh, you know, a really hard, terrible thing to do, to take another thing's life, another creature's life. But we um, were able to justify it for ourselves because, like I mean, even the head, Uh, Gertrude, (laughs) or not Gertrude, Tula ate the entire head. So, you know. And, and they had a really good life uh, in the time oh, yeah. they were with us. And they were with us for years. So, yeah, that was really emotional. I mean, Jen was really devastated.
1: Yeah, and we ended up... Remember, we packed up all of those chickens into carrier bags, basically. Grocery bags. And we took them across the river into the field and left them to be... Um, that
0: hopefully foxes would find them and eat them, at, at least. Yeah, or
1: whatever whatever creatures were out there that yeah. needed food.
0: Instead of just throwing them away.
1: Yeah, yeah. and we couldn't we couldn't...
0: And we weren't supposed to do that. That was totally breaking the law. Uh, I think you knew at the time. And I was totally unaware that we were... I I,
1: I don't think I knew the day we did it. I found out fairly closely (laughs) afterwards that you're not supposed to do that. But, um, I mean, we could have just left them there for the fox to come back and get one at a time. But, But, I mean,
0: there was no guarantee that was going to happen. No. Yeah. We
1: could have... Anyway, so it was Did you
0: ever see the fox? I did. You did? Oh, I I didn't realize that. Yep. Did you see the actual act or was it already done by the time? It was all done. So the, the fox had slaughtered everybody, was actually just eating one.
1: I think he heard me coming and he was trying to get out of that um, pen uh-huh. the outside pen uh-huh. and because of the way the fence was he just was having a hard time
0: he or she probably the yeah. uh, mama fox with pups back home
1: possibly yeah, yeah. just so he was kind of like climbing the walls trying to get out of the fencing
0: uh-huh and did
1: and did eventually yeah yeah and I thought about you know going up and getting a shovel and killing it or you know something like that oh my but gosh I wasn't you know I just felt like we'd lost enough life and
0: well yeah it was, and it was our fault Foxes doing what the fox do.
1: Yep, foxes do. Yeah,
0: that was that was another learning lesson for us. Um, so that was really tough. But then we cut to Malta, and, and we got <laughs> I don't know we I don't know how many we slaughtered. Probably a dozen or so over the years.
1: Maybe not that many. I don't think quite that many.
0: But I mean, it, it's not like it ever became second nature. No, but it was. I mean, I, I think we felt like we've given them a good life, and you know everything's going to go to good use. And I, I know not everybody agrees, but this is kind of it's a it's a natural order kind of thing, and
1: and we didn't have to kill the last batch because I gave them to the neighbor. <laughs> that was great. I was like, ah, there yeah. you go, yeah. lots of chickens.
0: Well, you wouldn't know because they were still laying. Yeah, yeah, they were still in in prime. So yeah, that's kind of how it's been for us. And uh, so and we haven't had to do it now for several years, but sooner or later we'll have to do it for these ones, or maybe we won't. I mean, we had to do it in Malta because we there there was nobody space. else to do it. But I'm sure. There's some place oh. we could take them here, and they would do it for us. I'm positive in America you can find anything you need, 24 hours a day, seven mm-hmm. days a week.
1: I wonder actually if we could just find places that want that will take chickens after they're through their prime and yeah. let them be on their land. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> a
0: farm. Yeah. Okay. There you go. There you go. But anyway, that that was our emotional journey with our chickens. That was the dark side of chicken rearing to offset Jen's previous uh, everything is awesome stories. All righty, Jack is back. He's heard there's a difference between chicken care depending oh. on whether or not a rooster is around. Is this true? How is it different?
1: Well, a we've we have never had a rooster beyond yep. the the chicks that we got. We did we did have two that turned out to be roosters because we
0: didn't realize they were roosters. Supposedly they weren't, but they turned out to be roosters. Well,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: there was a chance. Yeah, yeah,
1: and we rehomed the roosters to mm-hmm. a farm, an actual lady who wanted roosters. Yep. 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 So, um, other than A short very short time that we had these chicks that grew up to be boys we haven't had any the main difference is if you want to have chicks yourself you want to have a rooster so that you have fertile eggs of course we have never had i've always just gotten hens and um the eggs taste great they don't need to be fertilized um so there's just you don't need a rooster roosters do provide a service in that they will die for the hens If, like, a hawk is circling or, you know, there's a a fox or something like that. So if we had
0: a rooster when that fox killed all the hens in England, do you think that the hens could have survived? Possibly. I mean, the rooster would have at least tried to fight it off.
1: Absolutely. I'm sure he would have at least tried. But remember, he went into that hen house and just killed them all in there. Yeah. So once he's in the hen house, Mm -hmm. I don't think they had a choice. Yeah. I don't think a rooster would have been able to. So. Well, um, isn't
0: there a psychological thing, too?
1: Well, there's always a uh, there's your lead chicken, right? Yes. Your, your top hen, and if you don't have a top hen, you have a rooster. Mm-hmm. So, but someone will take the the top spot. I
0: could have sworn you've told me in the past that there are psychological that um that you will have a more harmonious flock if there is a rooster. Mm-hmm. I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you haven't told me that, but I seem to recall you talking about that at some point. Well, or that you re- that you've read that. Not that we've ever had.
1: Yeah, it. I don't know. I I that makes sense to me. Hmm. <clears throat> but. I, I don't have any practical experience. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me.
0: Uh so from your experience, for your to your knowledge, no difference. Other than the fact the roosters are super annoying.
1: Super and all annoying. Your,
0: all your neighbors will hate you. Yes. And you will hate the rooster.
1: Yes. I mean we had this little thing and it went yeah,
0: like it, that. it was just starting to It
1: was me. just starting and it was obnoxious. Yep. So we, yeah. have some, we have neighbors who have roosters, but they're far enough away that you can sort of just hear it in the distance. Oh. And that's fine okay. with me.
0: Uh, but not on the <laughs> other side of the fence? No. Yeah, I mean, just the hens make enough noise as it is, quite frankly. Because I, wh- I don't know what kind of evolutionary advantage <laughs> it disposes upon, d- upon hens to say, Hey, you know, I just laid an egg. What I'm going to do, I'm going to spend the next half hour crowing as loud as I can to the entire neighborhood to let everybody know I just laid an egg. Yep. How is that a good thing? But and yet they all do it, and yep. all are chickens. It's it's egg song, isn't that the yep. term for it? It's the egg song, and it's just it. Why? It's just so dumb. That is the opposite of what you should do if you're in the wild.
1: Yep. If you're going to lay an egg, you should be quiet about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. But no, chickens are not quiet about it at all. <laughs> Our neighbors know as soon as we do if there are <laughs> eggs out there, and so that's something to bear in mind if you have a. Rachety neighbors. Yeah. Um, it's it's not the same as roosters, but it is not quiet. Yeah.
1: Uh.
0: But you know, it's for the most part, it's not a no. It's not I an obnoxious mean, sound.
1: Hens in general are quiet creatures. They kind of do this little bok <laughs> bok kind of a mm-hmm. thing as they go about their day, and they talk to each other. Uh, but the egg song is bok 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 bok
0: bok. Literally bark, as bark. loud as they can. Yep. Yeah. Um, but for that, an extended period of well,
1: time. Well, um, you said a half an hour. I don't think it's a half an hour. I think well, I was
0: really... kind of like combining all of them into...
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> well, if you've got 10 chickens and yeah. they each do it for three minutes, that's a half an hour of begawking.
0: Yeah, it's very strange. Honey, what breeds of chicken do you have or have had? Ooh. Are they vastly different in the care they need? And if so, what would you recommend for a beginner? Well, I guess it must have been Jack who asked the question last month. I think it was, yeah.
1: Okay, um, yeah, we've had a whole bunch of different kinds. My first flock was a whole bunch of different kinds, and I got them at, from different places and at different maturity levels. So I would definitely recommend not doing that.
0: Yeah, you think that's one, one of the reasons that they?
1: Oh yeah, they they, they went bad. Had yeah. to do a pecking order every time I introduced a new chicken or yeah, yeah, it was not good. So what I did this time. Um, and I'll tell you what I did in between in a minute. But what I did this time is I went down to um my little Wilco, which is a farm shop, and they had um day old chicks of all different kinds. And so you could get them and you know, you got one of this kind and one of that kind and one of this kind. And there was probably twenty different chicken breeds. So I had done some research and decided which ones I wanted. So I just went down and I got all these day old, maybe two day old chicks, and they all went in a box, and so basically they all matured together. Well, they didn't stay in the box. We got yeah. them home and put them in. Yeah. But um, but but they've been with each other their entire lives. So they got the pecking order figured out, and it's much more harmonious than it was in the past.
0: Well, you said you did some research to decide breeds. Yeah. Which breeds did you choose and why? And what would you recommend for a beginner?
1: Okay. Well, let me just say in between the okay. other flocks that we got. So after the fox killed our second flock... Um, my husband was heading off to Malta. It
0: was like literally the next day.
1: Yeah, I was crazy. Um, so I actually, in England, they have something called the Welfare Hen Trust. And they rehome chickens from commercial operations. Because these chickens, they only get a year, maybe, in a commercial operation. And then either they're slaughtered or they're made into dog food or what have you. Um, but there's a the Welfare Hen Trust and they will rehome them. And so I got three of these production hens the red kind from the welfare trust and they did great they were happy to live and um, laid eggs for us and even my tenant after i left and went to malta she kept on these hens and mm. and, and enjoyed them as well so um, and they were all the same this production it's called a red uh, red production hen so
0: that's literally the breed name red production hen yeah,
1: there's there's a couple of different ones but they're right. either the standard red hen that you everybody knows what it looks like so um and then in malta we actually couldn't get hens from maltese chickens they came from sicily and so i went to the pet store and said i'd like some laying hens and they said okay well we'll add you to the list and you know whatever six weeks or eight weeks later whatever it was they said okay your hens are here and they handed them to us in um Feed bags that yeah. had a couple of holes Canvas poked in them. feed tags, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious.
0: Well, I don't think the chicken thought it was No,
1: hilarious. well, and it wasn't the way I was accustomed to getting chickens either. But they just, they kind of shoved them in a feed bag and poked a couple holes and tied up the top of the feed bag and away they went. Yeah. Um, and those were the red production hens as well. So if you're interested in eggs, I would definitely recommend you just get these red production hens. Or there's also um, black ones too, if you, like, if you prefer black hens. Um, they both lay kind of the cream-colored brown eggs. So, either way, it's good.
0: But That's uh, uh, that's if you're looking for production. Oh, if Is you there any difference in terms of temperament or ease of care? Or does, are, are they all the same?
1: I would say there are differences in temperament and ease of care. Mm-hmm. And I can say that now because I've had these chicks that I've raised from, from one day old. And now they're almost two. Yeah. So, and some of them, like... Um, So we've got a Buff Orpington, which is a beautiful chicken. They're kind of like a cruise liner of a chicken. They're just really big, and they're just so elegant looking and just lovely, big fluffy things. But they're known to be broody. So um, our
0: What's broody mean, honeypot? Broody
1: means that they want to lay eggs and sit on them and hatch them and be a mama. And if you don't have a rooster, that's not going to happen. She can sit on those eggs till kingdom come and... There will never be a chick. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, and I knew that about Buff Orpingtons. They are notoriously broody. And I just thought, well, I, I want one. So I'm going to have one. And it doesn't matter if she goes broody or it doesn't matter.
0: And do you regret that now?
1: Well, it's a little bit frustrating, but it
0: because she does go broody.
1: Yeah, she's gone broody, what, at least four times this year.
0: Yeah. And what that means is, as Jen says, they will spend all their time in the uh, nest box, wherever that is. Um, sitting on the one egg they laid, or, or any other eggs that were there.
1: Or even not even any eggs.
0: Yeah, just... Yeah. they just wherever they think the nest is. sitting and um, basically muscling all the other chickens out so that they can't go lay in that spot, which means they then go who knows where to lay in some dark corner and you'll be finding <laughs> those eggs weeks or months down the road. Yes. Because how did they get over here? So it is kind of obnoxious.
1: Yeah but we we also got 12 chickens because i knew some of them were going to be more ornamental than productive. I only got two two actual production hens, a red one and a black one with this batch. Um but we don't we don't need 12 eggs a day, we need 6 eggs a day. So, um i would say yes. Do some research on what what is available in your area and see if if what is available is interesting enough to diversify and i would say definitely get them all at the same age like day old chicks. Or get them from a place where they have been raised from day one together. And then, you know, they've already figured out their pecking order. And you can just say, I want six chickens from that pen over there. And they will go get them for you.
0: Okay. Uh, Jack also included another picture of their pup. Oh. On a walk.
1: Oh, lovely. And
0: you saw the picture last month and said there's some cocker in her. Yep. And Jack has confirmed that yes. But he said nothing more.
1: Okay. Well, I... that's fine.
0: Yep, there you go.
1: The lovely dog.
0: All righty, moving right along. We have uh, Matilda, who is a French listener of the podcast and would like to thank us for what we do, especially for just being ourselves and advocating the fact that we love playing games at home, and that doesn't make you less of board game lovers. Uh, thank you, Matilda. I used to feel guilty, but thanks to you. Not bragging about feeling like playing big game nights uh, with. Oh yeah, it's, it's saying it's fine. Just to, it, it, it doesn't have to be a whole big thing, you know. It doesn't have to be about going down to the convention. It could just be just, just yeah. So, matilda has been playing games for seventeen years since uh, bought her first copy of Lost Cities and been listening to podcasts for two years, but only for a couple months to us. Uh, he started with the Corner Corner show with I Do with Tom Vassell, which is now on the podcast uh, stream as well, which means. Uh, Matilda does apologize, and I have already answered this question, but have we ever played Hans of Teutonica, and if so, uh, do we dislike the two-player variant? Do you suggest another variant? Yes, Matilda. In fact, if you just do a search for runs through Hans of Teutonica, you will find I did a run-through for it, I think within the last year. Uh, we did play it years and years and years and years and years ago uh, when it first came out and thought the two-player variant was terrible. I don't even think we finished the game. That weird, you are tethered to the other player, and wherever they go, you it was just awful. Um, but then I discovered that uh, ultimately, a few years after it came out, um, Andreas Stedding, I think is the designer, came up with an alternate. Um, and why isn't this in games? I Do you have a personal question later? Because I feel like... Um, yeah, you know what? Folks, ignore all that. I will have answered this previously in the game section. The only reason this is here is so Jen can look at dog pictures.
1: Oh.
0: Look at that dog. Like
1: that. Oh, he's very cute. It's a Labrador wearing a vest.
0: Yeah, very smooth fur. Yeah. For a Labrador.
1: Oh, lovely.
0: That is a handsome dog.
1: Indeed. What um, do you, He says Labrador?
0: That's Pavlov, nine month old Labrador. Uh-huh. And sorry, folks, this is not very interesting for you. We're just reading about Pavlov. And um...
1: <laughs> oh, oh, wait. Oh, no. Okay,
0: dogs. yes. Forget everything about Hanson I, If I'd recorded that stuff first, I wouldn't have mentioned it just now. Here's the real question because Pavlov, um, they've were, they were um, there. Matilda fosters, guide is a foster dogs. family for puppies. Yeah. Under age one, uh, you know, learn their job as guide dogs for visually impaired. The task is to ensure the dog is balanced, gets accustomed to different environments. We learned a lot with these lovely dogs and are so proud to see them move on to accomplish great things. Have we ever taken part in anything similar to that with the dogs that weren't ours, um, but whom we've loved all the same? Um, Right. So, honey, have we ever done any dog fostering?
1: Only very temporary dog fostering. Mm -hmm. When we'd see a stray dog and we were holding on to him until the... The authorities could take them mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing like what you're doing with up to a year of, of caring for a dog. And then I don't know that I could release a dog. I,
0: I was going to say, why don't I, we do that, honey pie?
1: I love them. I love them too much. Uh-huh. I think I would have a really hard time not keeping a dog that I had spent a year with. Mm-hmm. And even even knowing that it was going on to a better purpose. Yeah, I don't know.
0: There was that Disney Plus series that we watched, yeah. which was uh, about, I don't know if you know about dogs. Matilda. I assume you have Disney Plus in France. They uh, Disney did a documentary series. I think it was six episodes long, where they trace the uh, these dogs. You know, they, and they spend a, an episode or two with the families and all that. But then they continue and follow the dogs through all of their training, right up to the point where they get adopted by you know uh, sight impaired folks. It's a very good show. If you haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out because I'm sure you'd love to see. How the story continues after they leave you? you probably you already know that story anyway, but it's cool to see firsthand. Yeah. So no, we've never done that. Would you do that, Honey Pie?
1: I, I think I would have a very hard time letting go.
0: Yeah. So, so you just don't think you can do it? Probably. Do you not. love dogs too much. No, I
1: think the uh, the alternate is having an old dog's home. Mm-hmm. And that's I think probably where we're heading. Uh oh. We will adopt um unadoptable dogs. A lot of people won't take on an older dog, and mm-hmm. then just let them hang around and be loved by us and live out the rest of their days. And All right. Yep. I think that will be lovely.
0: Yep. I need a farm for that. I know. <laughs> okay. Daniel is back after uh, those uh, fantasy sci-fi questions with some non-boarding questions. One, related to Star Trek. What is... Honey, you might not have an answer for this. What is your favorite <laughs> episode of Star Trek, the original series? And do you like the episode City on the Edge of Forever? Do you know the episode City on the Edge of Forever? Do you know any episode? Can you think of any episode at all from Star Trek the original series? Because if you can, that's your favorite.
1: Okay. Well, I like the one where Scotty says, it's green.
0: And you only know that because you've (laughs) seen he did it when he appeared on uh, Next Gen when he was Mm -hmm. having a drink with Data as well.
1: Ah. Um, Of course, I remember the Kirk one where he's fighting the uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex Type the Gorn. Guy,
0: the Gorn. Yes. So, you, do you remember anything other remember than the that. fact that he was just fighting the Gorn? Do you remember actually liking the episode?
1: Oh, I think it was that they couldn't communicate and that they were trying to build a story together so that they would have.
0: Nope, you're mixing that up with the next gen episode again Where of Picard... Sokath, his eyes uncovered.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: No, the Gorn story was crazy, super powerful aliens grabbed Kirk and the captain of the Gorn ship. And said, "Fight for our amusement."
1: Ah, and then they refused to fight. And
0: yeah, well, they did fight. And when? then when Kirk got the upper hand, he refused and threw down. in the uh, the the super omnipotent Q like aliens, which I'm sure have been since revealed to be Q aliens in some novelization or other, um, said, "Wow, well, you surprise us, humans. Maybe uh, one day you might hit a, get where we are. Although we suck because <laughs> we, we, we we're not as cool as we think we are." <laughs> So, okay, so you remember I wanna say that's enemy mine, but it's not. I can't remember the name of the title. So is that your favorite Star Trek episode? The one with the gorn?
1: Um well there's the one where they see Captain Pike again.
0: Uh oh really, okay. So I don't really
1: remember a lot of that, but wasn't that with the aliens with the heads and the Yes, t- that is correct. Yep. Yeah. Goldfish bowls.
0: Mm-hmm. Well no, they're not in goldfish, but they do have big gigantic brains, yes. The Tolosians. <laughs> Jen thinks it's very silly, I know that. <laughs>
1: Uh, So I guess I remember various bits and pieces. Yeah,
0: but you can't say that you actually remember any episode well enough to actually say you liked it, even.
1: Uh, Yes.
0: Okay. My favorite is Balance of Terror. I think that show holds up um, and goes toe-to-toe with the best Star Trek has ever been. Uh, Have you ever watched Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, or Voyager enough to answer the same question? Um, well, I mean, I think Jen will have an easier time. Yeah. What is your, Well, of course, of course, of Jen's course. favorite episode is, what was it, Guiding Light? Or Inner inner Light?
1: Is that the one with the flute? Yes. Yeah.
0: Uh, or also known as the one with the flute. That would be Jen's favorite episode. And that's a hard one not to be everybody's favorite, of course.
1: What did you just say your favorite one was? This?
0: Uh, Balance of Terror on the original series. Uh, I, I could be wrong about that. I'm pretty sure. Yep, Balance of Terror. Everything Season happened. one, episode 14. Um, it's a, uh basically a parallel for, like, uh, submarines, because it's the first time the Romans are introduced. Uh, Humanity's lost track of them, doesn't know anything about them. They have a cloaking device, and the entire episode is a battle of wits between Kirk and uh, Hmm. the actor who would go on later on to play Spock's father. Um, Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, But anyway, uh, your favorite next-gen is Inner. And yeah, that's hard not to say that's the best one. It probably is. Uh, do you have a favorite for D Space Nine, Voyager, or Enterprise? We've only watched every... We've watched every episode of D Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and Next Gen once. I don't think we've ever watched any episode of any of them more than once. With a few exceptions, like Inner Light. Um, and I don't think we've ever watched any episode of D Space Nine or Voyager more than when it was originally aired. Never watched them in... So... Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a... We started watching all of Star Trek, but then we stopped. We finished watching... So we've watched all of Enterprise twice now. Do you have a favorite Enterprise episode? She's thinking.
1: I, I'm not very good at this kind of yep. thing. Yeah, that's I'm fine. That's fine, it's fine.
0: I, you, um, you know, The entire final season of Enterprise was amazing when they actually brought in real sci-fi writers um, and they gave the show... Uh, running duties to Manny Koto, and they just radically transformed the entire show. But the entire Zindi arc was very, very cool, too. So there's a lot of really good stuff. But I'll be honest, um, I don't think we were familiar enough to be able to point out any particular ones. So moving on to Star Wars. Honey. Uh, Star Wars, sort of. Oh, no, okay, this is in general. What is your favorite um, fictional magic system? Fictional
1: and so, and he's saying
0: Star Wars, sort of, because the Force is basically magic. So... If you could think of you know different I mean you know, obviously Tolkien has a view of the way magic works, and the force is a way that magic works, and do you have a favorite system for magic? See I mean, because that can go really deep in the weeds because there's all i mean there's so much fantasy stuff out there, magic that's based on just a million different things magic that is based on gravity or mm-hmm. or cosmological alignment or magic that's based on you know consumable reagents or there's I don't have a strong feeling about that at all, really.
1: I don't think I do either.
0: I, I don't think either Jen or I are um, well versed in uh, magic, or even care about it enough, really. Um, right. So, in your opinion, Honey Pie, yeah. do violent video games lead to real-world aggression?
1: There's been studies on them say that it doesn't. That's correct. So I.
0: It has been amply studied and proven repeatedly that there is no direct causal link. Here's what I do believe happens. I believe that it is possible that repeated exposure does not lead to uh, an uptick of aggressive acts, but I personally, and I have nothing to back this up, believes that it can lead to a drop in empathy for um, that you know, a, a more ready and welcoming perspective on violence in real life. That someone who is exposed enough and gets comfortable enough with violence in video games is not is not does not treat violence in the real world with the same level of abhorrence as they might otherwise have. And I wouldn't say that's unique to video games. I would say that is probably true for um, any kind of violent imagery. Although video games, of course, let you participate and be titillated by it. So. I, again, I have nothing to base that on, but I do believe that that is possible. Now, I do not believe that in any way, shape, or form leads to any sort of uptick of violence because I don't think it changes anyone's morality. I don't think anybody is is uh, convinced because of violent video games that violence is a is an acceptable thing to do. But I think people become more comfortable with violence in their society, in their, you know, Uh, and all of that. And I do think that's a problem, personally. Um, And I think I contributed that a little bit because I made one of the most hyper-violent video games of its era. So, fair question. Do you have anything to say to that, honey pie? Nope. All right. Then, let's move on to Mike, who uh, just listened to the July podcast, would like to offer some counterpoints, wants to explain perspective because he lives in Adelaide, Australia, not in the middle of the boiling cauldron of America... His views are based on uh, an outside perspective. Uh, let's see, he says uh, we all believe that Trump is an idiot when it comes to social and communication skills, but his running of the finance of America and making it into a strong economy is built on a different is a different matter. We actually touched upon this ourselves when we looked at the exchange rate establishing our uh, between ourselves and New Zealand. Uh, the U.S. Uh, is want the U.S. dollars wanted all over the world and it's costing the rest of the world an arm and a leg to get them. Um, yes. However, it's not as simple as that. Uh, It is certainly true that Trump... Oh, gosh darn it, we're doing politics. Oh, you snuck in the politics, didn't you, Mike? I don't know, do you want to address... I mean, the simple thing is... It's not as simple and black and white as that, no matter how much Trump would like you to say otherwise. Because if you actually look at the numbers in context, in Trump's tenure, our um, economic rise was slowing. It was still on an upward tick, but Trump slowed down our economic expansion. And this was well before the current COVID troubles. Uh, in spite of the fact that he was incredibly business friendly and bent over backwards and said you know watch the world burn so we can get rid of more environmental regulations and this that and the other um, it did not lead he, he was our economy was literally slowing down in its growth compared to where it was in the final years of Obama so he was coasting on what had been built before um, so anyway but of course that's a very requires a deep dive and you don't get that which just it just looks like oh my gosh everything's great Um, disarming the police. Here in Australia, we've successfully done it uh, the other way around and disarmed the public. Yes, it's amazing. Uh, uh, Australia is so ahead of the curve, um, uh, Russ, on that. This was brought about by the Port Arthur Massacre in 1996. For folks who don't know, we have not had a mass shooting since. The gu- or killing. Uh, the government reaction was an amnesty for handing in firearms to be destroyed and tougher penalties for having an unlicensed gun. It's hard for us to imagine what it would have been like to send unarmed police into a situation uh, where the chances are there will be gunfire coming at them. 60 minutes and programs of its ilk often show the uh, life of an American police officer and a common factor is a statement. Uh, is this going to be the day I die? You're right, and I think that's amazing. I wish we had the political willpower to um, take such a common sense uh, measure. Of course, America has an unhealthy obsession and love affair with guns. that is deeply ingrained in our psyche because we were born of gun violence. Um, we, we, we literally, um, you know, wear that as a pride, a, a badge of honor. Um, I imagine, I'm I ashamed to admit, I don't really know that much about the origins of uh, westernized uh, African society. I wouldn't be surprised if you guys have a similar background, and I think it's great that if you did, you were able to have calmer heads prevail in the face of atrocities and did something about it, unlike us. And good on you, mate. Black Lives Matter. We hear a lot of arguments coming from the black Lives community saying this is not the issue. Um, the way that Morgan Freeman carries himself. All right, so you, you, you link to a YouTube thing from the Hodge Twins. I watched a debate on Facebook feed where a lady was arguing either in Congress or some other committee that is a product of left wing who jump onto the cause like this every four years during election and blow it out of proportion. Her closing line was directed at the white people arguing against her. How do you know black America? I've lived it my whole life. Um, This should be aimed more at police tactics. They're trained to use. This is not the first life lost by a policeman kneeling on someone's neck. In 2016, Tony Tempo went the same way. I use the words black and white in this comment, but I hate using them. As Morgan Freeman, I assume, says, you call people by their names and human being. I feel that using the words black, white, yellow, Christian, Muslim, etc. are what's keeping racism alive. I disagree, Mike. Uh, Go to blm.rado.com and I go into great deal why. Alrighty, So I didn't mind putting this out there because anybody who wants to argue with me about BLM, you don't need to send a question to questions at rado.com. Just go to uh, literally http colon slash blm.rado.com. I have put all my thoughts out in detail and others have expanded on them at great length to, and in even more eloquent ways than I have. Uh, suffice to say, I agree with your sentiment, but I don't believe that is the actual practical on-the-boot-reality and that we are in a situation that requires something a bit more than just egalitarian. um, I I think in the same way, I I think that's a bit overly simplistic considering the circumstances we're in. And again, blm.rodo.com for more. Global warming! In the 70s, it was touted that we were heading for an ice age. In the 80s, it was the hole in the ozone layer, which is now closing. In the 90s, it was El Nino, uh, until they found out there's evidence of being happening for thousands of years. 2000, global warming. 2010, climate change. I think I'm getting your point, Mike. Uh, We've not had enough accurate data to accurately predict what's going to happen to the Earth. Who cares, Mike? What's happening today? Come on, man. You can't bury your head in the sand on this. Just look out the window. Look at the historic, completely out of context, or you know, completely inconsistent, every single metric. In all of human recorded history, we are in a worse state than we have ever been. Even if you don't believe we cause it, who cares who caused it? Let's fix the problem. And you just very blithely cut off the fact, oh, there was a hole in the ozone layer, which is now closing. Why is that, Mike? Because at one point, we, saner heads prevailed in much the same way that in your country, saner heads prevailed about gun control and you did something about it. The ozone layer was a clear and present danger to humanity and in the 80s, saner heads prevailed and we did something about it. And it's not closing on its own. It's closing because of regulation. It's closing because we shut down chlorofluorocarbons or whatever the word is, the CFCs. And um, yeah, saner heads are not prevailing here. And you are, I'm sorry, Mike, Um, you're wrong. You're wrong. And it's very easy to what about X, Y, and Z. And I, I don't have time for it because people are dying. The world is on fire. And even if you don't want to admit that we are the cause, who cares? We can be the solution. And basically reinvent life for everyone on this planet and make it a better world. Why would you be against that, Mike? Okay. Um, All righty. Mike continues on. Yes, sea level's rising, but who's to say that's not natural weather? Oh, Mike. Oh, Mike, 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 Mike. All righty. Uh, another question. You're an avid follower of the Washington Redskins. Mike, let me just stop you right there. Go to blm.rado.com. That's, we'll just stop it right there. Uh, but thanks for writing, Mike. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is why... Anyway, uh, Mike. I agreed with you about Australian approach to gun control, and I believe that common sense approach could be applied to a lot more problems that uh, face us today. I think your country showed the world a better way, and I think that could be applied to things, and I hope more people can see it that way. All righty. Whew. Oh, dear. Alan says, have we watched the new Michael Moore produced documentary, Planet of the Humans? It paints a pretty big picture of the green and sustainable energy movement, at least how it's currently being implemented. Uh, Alan, no, I have not watched it, but I read a lot about it. And it's an incredibly problematic documentary, uh, very, very easily debunked. You do, and um, you know, not debunked by far out wackos, debunked by um, you know, basically the majority of scientists in the world. And here's the problem: I used to love Michael Moore, and I still love Michael Moore, and I think his heart is in the right place. But ever since we saw his documentary about the healthcare system, and um, he pointed to the Britain healthcare system, which we had at that point very. In-depth firsthand knowledge of, because we lived in England for almost a decade, and I saw how he didn't out and out lie, but he very cherry picked things, and he he basically um, it, it basically puts everything he says and does in his documentaries. He is very quick to cherry pick and um, accentuate uh, to make a point that is not necessarily supported when you look at the greater context of everything. I think he's a great person. I think his methods are not always the best, unfortunately. And um, and as such, uh, you know, when I saw this new thing and I heard, oh my God, Michael Moore has revealed that the green movement is a sham. And I'm like, oh my God, okay, you know what? I already know Michael Moore has a tendency to exaggerate, to make his point, And it's very easy to debunk because I have personally done it. And then all I did was I just, you know, searched for science debunking, whatever the name of the show was. And I instantly came across, you know, not just anybody, not Fox News, but reputable scientists the world over saying that that documentary, it's a good thing nobody saw it. Um, because it's, muckraking of the highest order, unfortunately. Uh, or, you know, or, or, or not muckraking, but, you know, conspiracies theory that really takes things out of context and blows things out of proportion. So that's my feeling about that. Um, and like I said, in part because of my personal experience having seen the lengths he is willing to go to as a documentarian. Documentarian. Okay, Ben. Hopefully he doesn't have any politics questions. All righty. I was wondering if we've seen the show Dark on Netflix. Have we seen so? What do you think of it? No, I haven't seen it. Jen would have zero interest in it. I started watching the first episode, and it was really slow-paced, and I think I fell asleep because I was watching it late at night, and I just never got back around to it. So, unfortunately... I mean, I've heard nothing but great things. Nothing but great things. And so, it's kind of on my back burner, but there are so many shows to watch, I just never circle back around to it. If not... Uh, which I have not been. Uh, if we enjoy mind-melting TV shows that really make us think, we have to check it out. It's a German TV show, dubs or subtitles, whatever you prefer. It does some crazy new things with time travel and also has a strong focus on characters. Uh, it's a lot to keep uh, track of in the beginning, but it's well worth sticking to. Uh, I just finished the final season and only, star- uh, and only started the show a couple months ago. It's been my top favorite, it's one of my top shows of all time. If you'd make the time to watch it, I'm curious your thoughts. It's on my list, man. There's too much good stuff. Unfortunately, I do not think Jen will enjoy it. There's lots of heavy themes. And it seemed like something that I might enjoy. We don't normally ask or recommend shows. There's so many of them, but I think this one is worth checking out. So Ben is using my platform to inform everybody out there that the dark, my answer to your question is, no, I haven't seen it. It's on my list. You've bumped it up a couple of ticks, Ben. Well done, sir. All righty. But Season 2 of *Umbrella Academy just... Oh, what to do. Alrighty. righty. Um, next up. Donna says... After Grant Imahara's death on July 13, uh, she read that he had played Sulu in the series Star Trek Continues. Found the entire uh, series of 11 episodes, a continuation of Star Trek the Original Series, on YouTube and loved it. Question. Have I seen the series Star Trek Continues? Yes, I did. And I loved it. It's fantastic. There's actually two big ones. Star Trek Continues and Star Trek... I think it was like Ongoing Voyages or New Voyages or something like that. Uh, They were basically done roughly the same time independently of each other. I think our cook, maybe they actually had a crossover with some of the actors because they were both aware. And they both just lovingly recreated everything, the sets, the costumes, and just continued telling the ongoing stories. And they were all amazing. And I loved all of them. And I've seen all of them. Uh, so yes, I as a long time, as a lifelong Star Trek fan, I definitely recommend them. Uh, um, and it's interesting that just fans uh, with enough gumption are able to produce something to as high quality as major network television was able to do in the '60s. And it's interesting what it says about you know just how far we've come in terms of uh, being able to have creative storytelling tools at home. All Listening to the podcast with Aldi, somebody else listened to that episode, has a, uh, and Will has a thought. It seems like some of the dichotomy of my introversion preference versus the energy I put into my actor's character feels a little like the reality of Bruce Banner and the Hulk. The, and uh, Jen could not stifle a laugh at you, Will. <laughs> She's laughing with you, though. The Hulk's persona is always there. But having the physical transformation allows him to take over. And then, when it expires, Hulk returns. And as Ruffalo said, I'm always angry. Not saying you're always angry, by the way. Obviously, you're just making reference to the Avengers film. Uh, And now, with Professor Hulk. uh, By the way, spoilers, folks. uh, But I guess it's been a few years. Um, Having made peace with both of these personae, does it uh, also feel like my introversion everyday, Richard, and the extroverted, more public, Rado, have made peace and acceptance um, with the need for each other? Do I feel like balance has been established that helps both? Of the uh of of the the two sides of the coin better. What do you think, honey? Uh um, about that. Because you see both sides. You see my Bruce Banner and my Hulk side on a fairly regular basis. <laughs> what do you think? Um do you um do you agree with the analogy?
1: Not really.
0: Do no. you you're you're saying there is no Rada persona and there's just me?
1: Yeah, but the Hulk is
0: well, no, I mean, obviously he's not saying I'm a violent, you know, rage machine, but just rather that, you know, the, the dichotomy, the, the relationship mm. between two, uh, 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 a fractured persona, the two sides need each other and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. No, no. Do you, do you not think there is a Rado persona? There's just oh, me? yeah,
1: no, no. There's definitely a Rado persona. Okay. But.
0: So you're saying a uh, line around the house. Cause I've never asked you for confirmation. <laughs> are, are you saying I'm a different person when I'm on camera? Or would you say? Would you say I'm a different person right now? Because I'm kind of sort of on camera. I'm effectively on
1: yeah. camera. I don't know. I, I think of you as one person and you just have different strengths that you employ at different times, I guess. Uh-huh. So I don't think that has to be a, like a schizophrenic thing. No,
0: I, no one's saying otherwise, but... Okay. But so you, it's just sometimes I'm up and sometimes I'm down.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. And not down in a depressed way, but just down. Lo- sometimes I'm high energy, sometimes I'm low
1: energy. There you go. Yes. That's, and
0: from your perspective, that's it. So you have not delved into the psyche where I was like, actually, well, no, it's, it's more than high energy. I mean, I, I'm 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 acting, acting. <laughs> um. So okay, Will's uh, Jen's got nothing for you. I thought she might, but um, from her perspective, I'm making much ado about nothing. It's just sometimes I'm high energy, sometimes I'm low energy.
1: Well. Obviously, we all do things that change in various situations. So Mm -hmm. I recognize that, yeah, there's variability there. But I don't think that you're a different person. No, it's not like you're a Care Bear when you're off camera and that you're not when you're on or something like that. I think you're pretty consistent.
0: Mm Hmm. Okay. well, there you go. So you're saying you I don't seem like a different person most of the time than when I'm on camera. And I'm doing the, hey, everybody, today Rado yeah. does this and that. Or you see me, uh, when we go to a convention, and you see me sitting at your booth all day talking to people. Yeah. And then uh, you and I go to dinner.
1: Or we just go up to the room. Or we go
0: back to the room. We're quiet. Yeah.
1: I don't know. Well, do you see me at a convention? Am I going to be two different people?
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think you have kind of a sales mode. Um, the. I I I I I think you are definitely different with other people than with me. Definitely. Um in a pretty significant way. You often feel like a very different person. Hmm. And I don't mean in a bad way, it's just you you have a very different demeanor. Um you are I mean, you tend to end all your sentences on an upward lift. Uh you you you, you try a lot harder to make jokes um than you do normally. You're much I mean, you're a very funny person. But I often see when you're around people, you're trying to be funny as opposed to just kind of naturally passively funny like you are with me. I don't know if you agree or are aware of this, but yeah, I, I think you definitely have a very different Jennifer Ham glass artist persona.
1: Ah, okay. I didn't realize. I I figure, yeah, I do have to go to work. Mm-hmm. And it is definitely a lot of work to, to be in the public. Mm-hmm. So there is that, but I wouldn't, I don't think it, I'm a different person.
0: Well yeah, of course well, of course you're not, but I mean I'm saying uh, you, that you are expressing a different persona to the world that I don't think is the the real you. That is the natural you that it is it is um somebody who is trying to be more bubbly, more effusive, more outgoing and but I mean, with good reason because because you should. Yeah. I mean
1: I don't know. I think that's a I mean, really hard thing to I think we
0: we are both you and I are both fairly quiet people. Yes. It, 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 that's private our that's our natural state of being.
1: Private people.
0: Yeah. Um well I am not particularly private. You're very private and I am not. I've never been. But I always have been fairly quiet. Uh left to my own devices. Um Yeah, I'm introverted but not private. As <laughs> I don't really have any hmm. secrets. Uh but anyway, so back to will uh am I Bruce Banner the Hulk? I it's it's hard to say. Um I mean I feel like it's something that I have been consciously doing for a long time, but it is so second nature to me. And it's not just Roto Runs through; it's what I did for twenty years as a video game developer, and before that, it's what I did when I was on the phone as a customer service rep at Nintendo as a gameplay counselor. And before that, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I've always kind of done it, and it's just it's it's what I have always done for work. And I, I'm trying to think, you know, occasionally I notice. You can maybe see the real meme. No. No. Okay, I was going to say maybe the Alaboom, but really not really. But often, you will see, I will go for 10, 15, 20 minutes not saying a word on the Alaboom and just letting everybody else talk. Because I don't really have any... I, I don't... It's not my show, and I don't have to be like, all right, got to keep this show going. It's somebody else's job. I'll just sit here and listen and, and you know, pipe up if i got something to say. And then I'll also go very blue when I do. Because <laughs> I am a, not quite so wholesome. As, as you've already heard one belief in this episode, although I'm going to have a hard time finding it. Really. Um, but anyway, so, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, is it... I, I I am no trained psychiatrist or psychologist. Maybe it is just different facets. Maybe I am just one person. And maybe it's just infusing me with a bit more energy. Uh, maybe I am... Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. It's a good question. I don't have a good answer. But I, I, re- I appreciate it because, of course, I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I love that line. Um, right. Continuing on... Uh, let's see. We probably all have the experience of a book or movie or show differing wildly from what we had in our head canon when we read the book later or watched the show after the book. Are there games based on media? Oh no, this is a game question. All right, this the rest of this was game stuff. I'll be doing this later. I should never do this out of order. It makes everything harder. All right. I'll come back to that later or earlier as the case may be. <laughs> Jack says. I have a question about my shower schedule. What? Well, because I mentioned I only take a shower once a week in a previous podcast. Uh, okay. How do I handle not showering after doing yard work or some other activity to get you sweaty? Answer, don't do yard work or get sweaty. I think the build of a person's natural oils would cause skin issues, acne, greasy hair, etc. Or are you just not an oily and sweaty person? Uh, how are you able to go so long between showers? I'm intrigued and would love to try this way of living but need some additional info. And one last thing. Your new contributors are wonderful! Ooh. I hope they're just the first of the Rotto Empire. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you on behalf of Shay and uh, Ryan. And maybe Ruel, if we can figure something out. Ah, uh, spoiler there. Alrighty, we're working on it with Ruel. We'll see how it goes. Um, let's see here. Uh, well, yeah. We are in a, I would much rather pay the local kids in the neighborhood to mow the lawn than mow the lawn myself. Um... I, 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 I tend not to engage in sweaty activity. I was, up until I sprained my ankle a month ago, exercising fairly regularly. And ha- having started exercising, I was showering more often, maybe two or three times a week. But still, not every time. And I don't know. I, I, don't, think, I don't feel that my sweat is implicitly greasy. There is no grease in human sweat. Human sweat is 99.9% salt water and with just a little bit of trace minerals. There's no grease in it at all. When it evaporates, it's gone. Um, And I think we just have kind of a preconceived notion, oh, I feel all greasy and slimy. No, you're not. Uh, You're not greasy or slimy when you come out of the ocean after having a swim, and you're not after you sweat either. Um, Don't take my word for it. Google contents of sweat, human sweat, there's no grease in it at all. It's just I think we are all kind of trained and conditioned to believe that is the case. Um, and uh, but still, yeah. If I if I were doing more physical exert, exertion stuff, I, I suppose I might. But uh, for deodorant, I use what was it we use? Walita, mm-hmm. um, which is it's basically just water and alcohol and perfumey A stuff, of, right?
1: Yeah, fragrance. Yeah.
0: So I don't know. I mean, do I stink, Honey Pie? No. Am no. I gross? No. You can say I am if you want to. I, I I'm not private. Got...
1: <laughs> no.
0: Um
1: Occasionally I'll tell you you need a shower or something, but
0: Yeah. But usually that's after about a week or so. And uh, normally my clock is, okay, yeah, this uh, facial fuzz is getting a little long. Need to have a shave and a shower. Um but yeah, I mean I think maybe people feel greasy. I mean because what that does happen, you get clammy. And that's different than actual greasy, but it can kind of feel the same. You know, I mean, you just if you, if you feel moist or damp, that is very, very easy to equate to, oh, I'm all greasy and slimy and disgusting. No, you, you just have a film of, of of moisture on your body. Just give it an hour. It will dry up. It will be gone. There will be nothing other than maybe some bacterial residue that um, got to have a heyday when, when things got a bit moister no, under your arms or no, what have you. No,
1: because you also have a coating of salt on you. Once the water evaporates.
0: There is so little salt in our sweat. It is so I mean, do the search any pie. It's it's almost there's almost it's 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 so little. It's nowhere close to the salt you have coming out of the ocean, which is actually a fairly high concentration of salt huh. relative. Our human sweat it, I, like I said, I believe most people have just literally been brainwashed their entire lives to where you feel they're a certain way. Now, I don't know what prompted me. I honestly I think it was more just kind of out of necessity, because I just didn't have time to shower. I mean, for years and years and years, most of my life, I showered every day like clockwork. But you know, just getting to the point where I was in the video game industry, and I would have to go for days without ever even going home and just sleeping on the floor. Um, and right, and that was when we were in England and working at Lionhead on on Fable. And around that time, I saw we saw. Do you do you remember seeing this? I could have sworn the narrator of the documentary was Stephen Fry. And it was specifically about not showering. And, and I mostly remember being about hair. That your hair, uh, it's terrible for our hair to be showering and, and shampoo. Yeah. We have to use conditioner because we're destroying our hair. But we should just leave our hair alone in the first place. That, um, I mean, is my hair greasy right now? No. But yeah, Jen cuts my hair all the time. And I never wash my hair. Other than maybe once a week. And I don't even always use... No, I, n- I never use shampoo. Ever.
1: You don't use soap anymore.
0: Um, I use soap on my body, um, but yes. it's it's like that that stuff that we have that's practically yeah. it's it's hardly it's hardly anything to it. Uh, it's just it's just basically some oils um, and a little bit of perfume in it as well. Um, so, but I never shampoo my hair. My hair is not greasy. Supposedly, you go through a transition period where your hair supposedly gets very greasy for and a while. I've,
1: I've tried that a couple times. It's called no poo. The, oh,
0: that's the movement. There's the no-poo? The instead no of shampoo. Your no poo. Yep. Okay.
1: Um, and I've tried it a couple times. And actually, once I get past that greasy stage where your your scalp, which is like a couple of
0: uh, weeks or something like that, I guess
1: yeah. it's like about a month really. Yeah. Okay. Um, then I'm fine actually. But um, so actually, I was using baking soda. Um, oh, I did not know this. Apple cider vinegar. Oh my! On my hair in Malta.
0: Oh wow! Okay.
1: Yeah, for quite a while, but I, yeah, I. I didn't, I don't think I really liked it. And um, I did some research and there's a, so some ingredients that you can just not buy. Yes. So shampoos that don't have sodium lauryl sulfate mm-hmm. and parabens and things like that. Um, and so there's there's a lot of good options out there now ah. that you can just basically buy shampoos that don't have that stuff in it and it's fine. Okay. And so that's that's then my decision now because I do like to have clean hair.
0: Well, I mean, I will not deny that there is is a certain pleasance to, I mean, my my hair is not greasy, but it it doesn't feel like it's just been shampooed. Yeah. And, but that thing, the the feel of freshly shampooed hair is unnatural. Yeah. It's something that I believe we are all trained from birth to say, oh, that's a feeling you want because that's a good thing. And we were all had this emblazoned in us as children Mm -hmm. because it's just a different texture. Yeah, and textures are just textures. It's not like they are implicitly better or worse than others, other than the psychological connotations we bring to them. Yeah. And so we are all trained to believe. Oh, feel that nice, fresh, clean hair, and we feel that's good because we were told to, and we now do. Sure. So yeah, well,
1: and then then there's the other thing about just we have so many chemicals in our world today, and so if you can avoid. Putting chemicals on your body through shampoo and conditioner and body wash and perfume and deodorant and yeah. lotion. All this stuff that's unnatural. All that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever you can avoid is probably pretty wise. I know.
0: That was another thing right around the same time as the other stuff. I uh, I had already, for some reason, had a real scare. Not that he had vented at me, but I was just really afraid of getting Alzheimer's in later life. Mm. And at some point I read, "Oh, there's a potential loose causal link between Alzheimer's and the aluminum in deodorants." That because not per, you know, you know, not not deodorants, antiperspirants. Yes. Because antiperspirants, the way they stop you from perspiring is literally clogging up your sweat glands with aluminum. Uh, or I'm oversimplifying, of course. And that there was some concern from some studies that maybe somehow... I'm like, okay, that's enough for me. I don't even care. I am so scared of getting Alzheimer's. Anything that I could do to avoid that, I will do. And like, okay, honey, we need to get some all-natural stuff. We need to switch from antiperspirants, which we used all our life, Mitchum, which works? It yeah. works. But we need to stop. And then we did a lot of experiments. We yep. tried a whole bunch of different roll-ons and yes. sprays, and, and not lots of different,
1: expensive. Yeah,
0: and a lot of them were not really reliable.
1: No, they weren't.
0: And we will. I mean, we're not getting any money for this, right. but we are huge fans of Willita. W e l e d a. Yep. Yeah.
1: And you can get it in this country, but it is a, a European. Is one.
0: it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But,
1: yep. But you can get it on Amazon. I think somebody imports it.
0: Oh, there you go then. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, That—that's—that's—that's that's, that's our approach.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not the cheapest either. But on the other hand, you know, if you're spending ten or twelve bucks for your deodorant and a perspirant thing, and it's not causing you health problems, that could be the cheapest thing you ever buy to ensure you've got good health. Mm.
0: All right, Michael wonders. Uh, previously, Jen and I have mentioned that we buy half a cow and half a pig every year, mm-hmm. freeze it, and then eat it. Any recommendations on how someone would go about finding a farm that would offer this service? Uh, do you have cold call places? Did you cold hmm. call places near your house? Check the internet, etc. Any additional details would be helpful, as it sounds like something I'd like to look into. Says ah. Michael.
1: Well, I think what we did was when we got to our area where we live right now yep. is um, we started looking at CSA opportunities, and that's um, what does it stand for? Consumer. I don't know. I can't remember. Anyway, it's 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 direct. It's farm to consumer direct interactions. CSA, and so we just looked around at the farms that were so doing So, wait, you at. just do
0: a Google search for CSA farm near me? Yeah,
1: he's doing it. Let's
0: I'm see. literally What's googling that. CSA farms near me. That takes me to barn-to-door. Increased CSA sign-ups and sales. Community-supported agriculture is surging amid, you know...
1: Community-supported agriculture, community CSA. Su- All right, community-supported agriculture. All right. Yep. So basically, um, and most of it is people who are, you know, farming w- with vegetables and berries and trees, apple trees and things like that. But they also might also have animals or there might be particular, like the place that we get our um, cow and pig from. They are particularly. Although apparently store.
0: we're changing this year.
1: We are going to have two lambs instead of half a cow. Yep. Yep.
0: Two full lambs or two half lambs? Two
1: full lambs. All
0: right, because that would be one lamb if it were two half lambs. Yes, exactly. I can do math. Yep. Two so, full lambs so that's how and you... still a half a pig.
1: Yes. Right. In fact, I just was in touch with the um, farm today about what how I want my, my pig cut
0: <laughs> okay. up.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that is that is how I would start. And
0: well, you, one of the things we did after we got settled down here, you, there was one day when we spent all day and we went to like three oh, yeah. or four different farms and had tours. Yeah. And right? that,
1: that this community supported agriculture will, they will have farm days where you can come out and you can see how they raise their animals and, you know, the state of their gardens and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. It was fascinating. I thought it was really good.
0: Yep. And there were samples. good stuff yep yeah um so apparently google csa and that might get you going on that
1: yep and facebook as well had a whole bunch of things similar
0: yeah um i mean obviously if you're in the middle of like a major urban area that might not be something you could pull off i mean we're we're not exactly in the boonies but we are
1: we are definitely surrounded by agriculture
0: yeah yeah, we are in a very agricultural area. So there are... I mean, these are all just farms that are... Look, can we do this a different way? Because we can't compete okay. with super mega farms anymore. Yep. But we would like to keep this lifestyle going. And it's just it's just a movement that's definitely growing.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if it's particularly in the Northwest or if it's nationwide. Mm-hmm. But um, when I was also looking for lamb in particular, because being having lived in Britain, lamb yeah. is Lamb is not malicious. a big deal here,
0: but it's a big deal over there. Yeah. And Jen got the bug.
1: Yeah, I like it a lot. Um. So, I wanted to get, you know, some, some lamb. And so, basically, I ended up Googling and, and some farms in Colorado, I think, came up and stuff. which And they'll mail you whatever you want. So, sure. yeah. if you're in an urban area, you can still get it.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. Okie doke. Kevin... Um, Send a bunch of pictures of dogs I think I only just copied this over here Because these were game questions But in case you'd missed the pictures You had to see all the pictures And you've seen them
1: I have seen them All
0: she right Cute, cute uh, So yeah, the other rest uh, Is I would say game or show related stuff Yeah Okay All right So we'll move on To To I think that's it Wait Oh no I just have three copies of this email For some reason Thank you, Channel Show. Yep, yep. So, somehow I ended up three copies of that. But now, Brian...
1: We couldn't miss out those dog pictures. No.
0: Um, What is Jen's learning how to ski story?
1: (laughs) Oh, my learning how to ski story is great. Uh My parents um, taught us when we were both little, little kids. Probably I was four, maybe five. Um, And my dad was an accountant and he actually did the taxes for this ski mountain company. And so we got season's passes for, I don't know, probably five or ten years mm-hmm. um, in, instead of him getting paid. And so, we, yeah, we were out on the slopes every weekend when I was a kid. And my sister's three years older, so she you know also grew up skiing. And I am sure I was taught to ski in a sensitive, sensible <laughs> manner, but I'd been skiing my entire life. So when Mr. Ham came into my life and said he'd never skied in his entire life.
0: And I arguably still haven't.
1: <laughs> He's had skis on his feet. That's true. Yep. Yeah. So I took him up one, one day in the winter, shortly after we started dating, I think. And um, I knew I was going to start him on the bunny hill. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we we no,
0: but no, we didn't get to the bunny hill because we got out of the car and there was I had my snow skis. everywhere. On yeah. and you said put your keys on, I'm like all right, I don't know what's going no, on. No, you didn't have skis no because your remember, I or... very clearly remember we were a long ways away from anything, and the lodge was over here, the parking lot was over there. And there was like this little space where there was like this little divot, like a little hill and then like a little slope that went down 20 feet and then came up the other side. And, um, and that was like a shortcut we could take to get to the actual place instead of just like, Oh, let's just keep on walking down the... And you're like, no, oh, no, we can just do this. It's a really simple little thing. And Jen just went and did it. And whoop and just down and up the other side. See how easy it is. It's so simple. It's so easy. <laughs> Look, this is, I mean, there's no one around. There's not it's, not it's gonna be so easy. You don't have to worry about it, you don't have to bump into anybody. And just do this. <laughs> and that didn't work.
1: Uh, no, so basically the problem was it wasn't in the parking lot. It no, it wasn't. was I mean, like I said, it we was between the parking over, lot and the because uh, you I'm sure we rented your skis and everything there from the from the mountain. Mm. I can't even remember which mountain it was. But anyway, yeah. so yeah, basically that's, that's true. Yeah. We we got his boots and his skis and everything and we went out and I'm sure I stuck skis, yeah. yeah. And I strapped mine on and I got him into his and I, I'm sure I probably took off and said, Just follow me.
0: <laughs> yep. It's just that easy. If yep. you've been doing this since you were four years old. <laughs> yep.
1: And you did pretty good. You did the sto- snow plow and we went we did, we did go up the bunny hill and stuff. It's just I apparently am not very good at teaching in an incremental fashion. I am a strap the skis on and let's just go. Yeah, there's kind of no her.
0: real story here. Nope. Um, it was just more an observation that Jen has a hard time um, appreciating how difficult something that she can do as easy as breathing might be for somebody who has never done it and um fair enough and might push somebody into a situation that they weren't quite ready for because <laughs> they assumed it'd be fine
1: it wasn't like we were going down di- black diamond paths or no anything.
0: like i said it, I, I, um, the main thing i remember from that day was just that we were there was some little off it was like a shortcut or something mm. and you're like look see boom and you just it, and You're like and the camera but see it's so easy it's all you gotta do just just do this just point in your direction and go. And I and I was like, oh, this is gonna be a long day. Oh, this is gonna be miserable (laughs) because I I only got to the bottom and then I fell over, of course, and I couldn't get back up. And I'm frowning. I'm frowning. I feel like an idiot because people are walking by and seeing me. And Jen's laughing because Jen Jen's innate response to any sort of stress is to start laughing uproariously. If you've ever seen that in a TV show or a movie, and you thought, well, that's so ridiculous that that character just starts laughing at that point, let me tell you. Jen will just cannot help herself. Just giggling and and she knows this is a really terrible situation, but she just it's just her way of releasing nervous energy. She just giggles and giggles and it looks like she's laughing at you and it's it was tough.
1: And and it was funny. (laughs) It was it was a funny situation, but it's very frustrating to be on the side of Yeah. Yeah, and I understand that, and I recognize that, <laughs> but I still have to get the stress that leaves me through the giggles. A
0: lot was learned that day. Yes, but how to ski was not one of the things.
1: <laughs> and he's never wanted to go back.
0: <laughs> go for it, <a> funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Um. yeah. Perhaps we both should have learned to snowboard that day. Maybe that would have been a better way to go.
1: Oh, that would have been good. Yeah. Yep. And then you could have laughed at me, and I would have. oh well, yeah. You I mean, it, then... it would
0: have been. Yeah, we both would have been learning together. Yeah. Because I'm sure. I mean, because I skateboarded a ton as a kid. So I probably would have had a much easier time, I bet, uh, snowboarding then. I I assume. I have no idea. But I would, you know, maybe. But anyway, honey pie, this is clearly for you. What books have been good?
1: Oh. Um, what books have been good? I
0: don't know. You've been reading books again. Yeah, I know. To the Kindle. It's right there. (laughs) There's your phone. Doesn't it keep track of everything you read? Have Mm -hmm. you not read good stuff lately?
1: No, I've been reading a lot of Facebook.
0: No, but you, like, for the last week or so, You, I'm in the middle of this book. I've just about finished this book. You've, did, you've read at least three books in the last three weeks.
1: I did enjoy.
0: So, uh, here it comes.
1: I'm a little bit embarrassed about one of these books. Why? Because I feel like it's a bit juvenile.
0: Oh, yeah, this is the one you mentioned, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I'm not sure, and you haven't read it, so no. you, you can't tell me if it is or not. But Honey,
0: the heart wants what the heart wants. and You
1: don't even know what that's a quote from. No, I don't. You've got to find it out. The dwarf. The dwarf. The dwarf. Remember, I told you about that, and it was the guy. The lady falls for the little the dwarf guy. The dwarf. Yes. All right, okay,
0: but that's not the question. The question is, what books have been good? Oh. She literally has a book open right now that she's in the middle of reading. I just, she won't tell you what it is, Brian. I just
1: started it. It was. I think this is my um, Kindle free thing. They give you a, a free book every month. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you what the name of this is. It's. I'm like. You can't say if it's any good two. or not. I, yeah. Um. All right. Let me try and get. My phone is very slow.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's time to get you a better phone. Do
1: you think so? Oh, of course, yeah. Uh. I mean, that,
0: that phone is a nightmare. Um, let's see. While Jen's trying to come back to that... I'll but first of all, what there. does the
1: heart want? The heart wants what the heart wants. It's
0: a. It's just a quote. It's been around forever. Um, all right, we're going to get to the bottom of this.
1: Yes, it's that was a movie, and it was about a lady.
0: Uh, apparently, it's from Emily Dickinson no, in 1862. And that. anybody since then has been um, appropriating that quote, because it's been around forever.
1: Okay, somebody out there is going to know what movie I'm talking about. It had a dwarf in it, and it was a lady who fell in love with the dwarf. Okay. It says Salima Gomez. Uh,
0: yes, because she sang a song called The Heart Watch on the Heart Wants, because it's a quote by Emily Dickinson, and everybody in the universe has been saying And yes, I'm sure it was said in a movie with a lady and a dwarf. I,
1: if anybody knows what I'm talking I, about, could you help me?
0: All right. Because um, he doesn't
1: believe me. Normally but in he the
0: meantime. What books have you been reading?
1: Alright.
0: Uh, Boy, you're right, this is slow. I know, Look at all these books.
1: Okay. So the one that I'm not sure about that I want to claim, But you enjoyed it. But I enjoyed it and actually it was very helpful. And to you're me. not
0: you're and you're not embarrassed about enjoying Harry Potter books. I don't know why you'd be embarrassed about enjoying this. I mean Harry Potter books are juvenile, honey. <laughs> there's a reason they're called young adult fiction. But it, it's it doesn't mean they're not well done and full of important messages and this and that and the other
1: okay well it's, so what is the book it's called in an instant
0: in an instant
1: yep by suzanne redfern f-e-a-r-n-e er, jen sorry, highly no recommends
0: e. in an instant no, I, don't by highly suzanne recommend
1: redfern. It. I don't highly recommend i enjoyed it and i thought it was very interesting mm-hmm. and it has helped me okay so i think that's good
0: do you want to say it with what
1: well, I was going to leave it for my quote at the end of the thing.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, then we'll come back to that. So, okay. so there's a sneak peek for Jen's uh, Words of Wisdom, which is coming.
1: Yes. Um, I, I've got The Man of Legends by Kenneth Johnson, it looks like. Yeah, Johnson. That mm-hmm. I remember that being a good book. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed Year of Wonder by Geraldine Brooks. Okay. That's something I read a while ago, though. Um,
0: That's three. That's good.
1: Okay, fine.
0: Three books. You got three books, Brian. Get back to us. righty. Next question, honey pie. What's the most grievous insult you've ever received? And why did you consider it an insult?
1: Oh, well, the easy one is that I was voted most likely to stay in my hometown. Oh, yes. that the yeah. people I went to high school.
0: In your senior year for your...
1: Yeah. Yearbook for folks who
0: don't know, in America anyway, you get yearbooks. Every year you're in high school and you're supposed to... And everybody votes in your senior year who's most likely to stay, who is the funniest, who is the class clown... Who was most likely to succeed. And Jen got most likely never to leave tiny little middle of nowhere town in eastern Washington. Yep. And Jen said, oh, none of you people know me. Yep. And you were the on the first bus out of town <laughs>
1: as soon as <laughs> you could. Pretty much I could. I, yep. I was leaving. I already knew I was leaving. There was no way I was staying. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that's an insult. I just think that that's a bit sad that, you know, you spend all these years with people and n- none of them. Really know you, mm. so that's a good one though. Yeah,
0: I was voted most talkative. Well, ironically,
1: at that point you might have been.
0: Uh, well, yes, because I was I was obligated to because of uh, social expectations. Um, I am I am having a hard time thinking of a ins- Can you think of a? Did I ever complained about?
1: Uh, well, you said that you were.
0: I'm really insulted that Asmodee didn't send me a copy of Pandemic Legacy Zero. I'm really. I have to work very hard not to be very angry about that. What uh,
1: about there was just recently where there was a new term that you discovered that was um, sea lioning. Sea lioning. Yeah.
0: yeah, but I wasn't insulted. I I, t- I took that on board and was like, yes, I, I see. I that yep, that is. I I was being problematic and I didn't realize it. And thank you very much for pointing it out. So, I mean, other people, some people might have been insulted. I was like, oh, is that the way you feel? Oh, let me look into that. That's. I, I I can't... I am hard-pressed to think of insults. I mean, I'm sure people have insults. I mean, people insult me all the time that uh, my show is terrible and that I'm that I'm a shill and that I never say anything critical. That kind of bugs me a little bit when people say that I don't have any critical analysis in my videos because I think I do. And I think actually I'm... I think I do better than most, quite frankly. But of course I would because I'm saying what I think. Um, but I mean, that's just ignorance. Ignorant. Because people watched one or two videos and they barely remember those. And they and it's just kind of like common knowledge that that's what Rado is known for. Just uh, only saying everything is great and everything is awesome. And he doesn't say anything else when that's that's demonstrably false. Um, but I guess that's an insult. But I don't know. I'm not particularly bothered by it. It's just dumb. It just, I mean, I don't know. Is it an insult if I just think, well, you're an idiot and I'm not bothered by your idiocy? <laughs> I guess not. So, yeah, but I am... I'm. It really got under my skin. And it's still kind of under my skin that Asmodee... When I found out that they sent two copies of it to Board Game Geek, one of which went to somebody who never even played Pandemic Season 2, and they turn around and say, Oh, no, we really value you, Rado. You'll get a copy at the same time everybody gets a copy at retail. Yeah, that... that, that um, I guess, because that, that really stands out to me. And I normally don't um dwell on stuff, but I mean, it's still... I'm. I am. I get pissed off about it a little bit almost every single day. Every time I think about it, and I think about it almost every day, because yeah. So I think that's it. Um, and I think I consider it an insult because because I think my subscriber base, I think my support of the franchise, I think my evaluation of the previous games, and um, you know my my critiques and analysis of it. I mean, who else? What other station could people go to to get information about how to get the replacement stickers for Pandemic 10th Edition? You know, I mean, it's, I don't know. I'm, 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 ah. And then at the same time, other outlets are getting multiple copies of it sent to them. And, and one outlet that got a copy, oh, we'll just mention it in passing in our podcast. And that's it. And it's like, oh, that, yeah, that is, that might be the most grievous insult I've ever had in my 51 years that they did not send uh, me that copy that I was not on the list. So I'm going to go with that. And Jen is going to go with... And that's a really good one. Voted most likely to never leave. Um, Yeah. What would the theme song of our lives be? I Like You. Oh, yeah. Jen loves that one. Um,
1: It's not The Mountaintops. It's The Walking In Between. Okay. That's from I Like You.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who is that? Is that Andy Grammer?
1: No, I think it's Ed Sheeran. Hey, Sharon. Oh yeah. no, no, wait, wait. Um,
0: now we got to look that uh, up because that's important.
1: It's it's Ben Rector.
0: Ben Rector. Yep. You are correct. Yep. What is my theme song? Jeez.
1: Well, he asked for our theme song.
0: Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah.
1: There's no yeah, need to complicate the theme, that. Yeah, he said
0: the theme song of our lives. Yeah, I'll go with that. That's a really good one.
1: Shall I? Shall we just read it like it's a poem?
0: Okay. <laughs> There's
1: no need to complicate it, dress it up, or overstate it. Without too much hesitation, here's the way I feel. I like you. I like you, even when I don't try to. Yes, I do. That's the truth. I like you. Seven years, we could say 30 years, is a long, long time. Somehow you still make me smile. I'd say most, almost most of the time, here's the way I feel. I like you. I like you, even when I don't try to. Yes, I do. That's the truth. I like you. There are way too many love songs, and I think they've got it all wrong. Because life is not the mountaintops, it's the walking in between. And I like you walking next to me. I like you, I like you, even when I don't try to. Yes, I do. That's the truth. I like you.
0: Ah, can't have a podcast without bursting out in tears, can I? Nope. Okay. Good one, honey pie. Oh, ah. Uh. Okay, that was it. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> All right. From what I've gathered, says Ben, uh, from the podcast, it sounds like you and Jen are pretty well set on retiring to England or New Zealand if it were possible. Hmm. I'm sorry if this has been asked before, but have you given much consideration to other countries? And if so, what sorts of potential difficulties uh, have you found that would lead you to decide against those countries? What are some of the main priorities when deciding where to live? Good question.
1: Um, well, for me, we, we actually looked at living in Denmark for a while, and yeah. beautiful country, and so friendly people, and just wonderful, wonderful. Um, loved their political system and everything. But everything's written in Danish <laughs> there. And while everybody speaks really good English... Everything is written in Danish. Yeah. So you still have to learn it. Um, so that for us was a real wake-up call or a real qualifier. Yeah. Not we, that we couldn't live somewhere that we couldn't read. I mean, we lived in Malta and there's a lot of stuff written in Maltese there. But it also was all written in English.
0: Yeah. Jen's specifically talking about we, we'd gone to, Dan, uh, to Denmark as I had a job interview there. And we really liked the company and Jen loved Christiania. And, I mean, you know, we loved the Hügelik, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know attitude about life. And, and I mean, we didn't I,
1: even know about Stroopwafels yeah, at the time. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, well, um, oh, that's that's more of a Dutch thing, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah, but still. Um, yeah, and well, I mean, I, th- I think we were both probably pretty strongly leaning yeah. towards it. Yeah. And this was after we'd been to Lionhead, and that was uh, on the table as well, because we, we'd yeah. finished. No, no, we, did we, we do Denmark first, and then no, we did no, England? No, no, no.
1: We did England, and then we did Denmark.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, but we had rented a car, and we'd driven around, and it was the final night, and we, were, we had to drive back to the airport to the next day, and we thought, oh, let's just fill up with gas tonight, yeah. so we don't have to worry about that when we're going to the airport. And it was a Sunday night, and everything was closed, and uh, we went into a self-serve gas station, and like Jen said, everything was in Danish. And I don't remember why, but we had a really hard time figuring anything out mm-hmm. uh, for something that we just took for granted and didn't even think twice about. Yep. And you know that may have start, well, geez, what's going to be like trying to pay our bills? Uh, cause back then you still had to write checks every month and you had to be able to read it and, and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, and we had to
1: rope in some passing just pedestrians to help us.
0: Uh, yeah. And it was, and, uh, and, cause,
1: you know, you have to push the little buttons on the gas um, thing to say which kind of gas you want. Yeah. And all of that. And we just couldn't read any of it.
0: Uh, yeah. And it was, it was, it was shocking to us. Um, just how lost and out of our element we were for something so simple. And, and we thought, well, I guess we could learn Danish. And I remember specifically saying, mm-hmm. We are going to do such an incredibly hard task to learn a language that is spoken by...
1: 60,000 people or, or something. I'm
0: sure more than that. But, you know, <laughs> it's such a... I mean, if we're going to learn a language, it should be... We should finish German, which we started. <laughs> or we should learn French or, you know, something. and
1: Chinese would yeah. have been good.
0: Also, I remember many, many years ago, back, I think when we were living in Texas. Didn't you subscribe to a retirement early newsletter? Yes. Because... That was before email, and you actually had I mean, it physically actually, sent to you in the mail? Yeah, and... no,
1: that was even when we were living in Seattle.
0: Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. In our 20s, okay. Yep. And, I mean, I remember that had lots of articles about South America.
1: Yes. Right? Places like, um, uh, where's the Jesus statue? You know, it looks down. Um, Rio de Janeiro. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. hmm And?
1: Uh, and just so, loads, loads of other places. Yeah. yeah. That are reasonable to, to retire to because the the difference in the economies are... Yeah. So favorable to Americans.
0: And were any of those seriously considered?
1: You mean no?
0: When you were reading those newsletters and subscribing oh, well, yeah, to Oh, yeah, of stuff? course.
1: We were, I was thinking about them, but uh-huh. um, as far as what we were doing when we went out and interviewed, or we, you, it's like saying we're pregnant, <sighs> but um, we're not. <laughs> Never have been. But anyway, uh, so, but that was definitely, we were going out to find a job so that we could afford to live somewhere foreign. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't even on the in my mind that we were gonna end up somewhere that we could retire cheap. Yep. It wasn't until one day I was walking in Malta with the dogs and I went, "Oh my God, I've done it! We've done it!" And you weren't even there. I was just like, "Holy cow!" All what have those. We done? Well, it was like twenty years on. I realized that we had found a little island nation, uh-huh. and we would essentially retired early, mm-hmm. and we were enjoying a great life, mm-hmm. low cost of living in this sunny Mediterranean Island. And you know, all those years ago back in Seattle, that was, that was what they were, you know, saying was, Uh was great. So it's amazing. (laughs) A goal happened and I hadn't even quite realized it (laughs) until I was like, Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. We just kind of sidled into it sideways. Yeah. Yep. Um, um, so anyway, to your original question, honestly, I think language, we are too old to learn new tricks.
1: I don't know. I would, I would live in France in a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I, I think I'd Well, really I mean, like that's a,
0: that. French is a relatively easy language to
1: learn. I know, but yeah. it's it's still a completely foreign language. Yeah. Well, not really. Um, I took a uh, one of these uh, books on tape kind of a course yep. and um, was able to pick up enough French that when we went over for a two-week logo yeah, yeah. holiday, I felt very comfortable, actually. Oh, sure.
0: Totally. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, French or Spanish, or I would imagine, because we have spent some time on it, German, yeah. would be reasonable languages to pick up. Yeah. But I don't think... Um. yeah, learning Danish, or Icelandic, or, um, you know, or, or whatever. I, I, yeah. even. Or even Maltese, yeah. I mean, everybody asked. We were there for what? How long were we there? Six, so, years. six years. Six years. And, it, I mean, we don't, I don't, do you know any words? I know. Just a few. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I think that's that's probably, probably, if not the biggest determiner, one of the determiners. Yes. I mean, obviously, climate and, you know, Socio-political issues and all that, but just in terms of raw day-to-day stuff. I mean, just being able to communicate with the locals, with the people um, who make your life uh, go smoothly, yeah. is a big deal. If
1: you need a propane tank full of propane, you need to be able to ask for that. Yeah, and and actually find it and find mm-hmm. out where they sell them. Yeah, and what hours they're open, and stuff. Yeah, and, there's just a lot of minutiae that happens when you live somewhere else. Yeah,
0: and that's all hard to do if you can't actually communicate with with anybody. Yeah. So that, that was a big thing. Probably the biggest thing. Okay. Was that the question? Uh, I don't know. What was the question? It was, <laughs> what potential difficulties have you found that would lead you to decide against a given country? What are some of the main priorities when deciding where to live?
1: Yeah. Um, things that would—I I mean, safety to me is a very big thing. I mm-hmm. want to be able to walk alone by myself with my dogs, mm-hmm. so that is huge for me. Um, yeah, and I think political stability also very important. Um, if we were going to buy a house somewhere, I'd want to know that, you know, the law of the land is respected as far as property. That's really important. Um,
0: I'll tell you one thing: after living in Malta for six years. I'm never living again any place with mosquitoes. I am done with mosquitoes after six years in Malta. That was a nightmare. And it wasn't even that bad. I mean, I am a magnet for mosquitoes. Uh, I always have in my entire life. Mom will tell you about our trips to Florida.
1: Yeah, You are not going to believe this, but they one time were driving along and lost a tire off of their car. <laughs> you know, I don't know, the lug knots weren't tightened or something. So they're driving along and then it, you know... the Tire rolls off of the car, so the car flonks down onto the axle, and the tire goes spinning off into the Florida Everglades. Yes. And guess who they send? Me. Off to go get the tire. Yes. The firstborn.
0: Yes, the firstborn. Send <laughs> we, the firstborn. We've got a... Send the boy. <laughs>
1: we've got a spare. <laughs>
0: Let's just
1: send the firstborn. <laughs> Not the adult male or the adult female. Let's it, send the 12-year-old.
0: It was the 70s. It was a different time. <laughs>
1: I could not believe it when your mom told us that story. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay.
0: Yep. 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 Alrighty. Christian has a personal comment, um, but he says not for the podcast. So we'll come back to that later. Okay. He has personal questions. I think it's fair to say that you're prolific when it comes to YouTube output. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? If you do... You seem to still manage to create things. How do you still create if you are feeling overwhelmed? Oh. Uh, second question. I see Fable as a launch title for the new Xbox. Uh, did that come from out of the blue for you? Do you think you'll want to play it? Once again, thanks for all the funny brains of the world. Um, right. Uh, I am overwhelmed. Well, there's a lot of games. And I would say I was really, really starting to feel overwhelmed a year ago. Or even two years ago, because you know I was getting to the point where I was probably doing fifteen. Or I was doing a run through every other day, and I mean, run throughs take a long time. they are a lot of work, and I, mean, I know it was overwhelming uh, Paolo too. Um, it was overwhelming Jen me! to play all of them.
1: Yes, what, I, I don't think
0: we've cut down. I mean, and what what I did is a year ago, I said, "Hey, I am going to start um, running down videos." which I, for a while I was trying to do these things where I didn't, I I would just, you can watch, it's all kinds of sloppy now, but um, if you look at, for a year ago, any rundowns I did, they were like five or 10 minutes long. And it's just, I'm, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do a little bit of setup, not just start playing, and I'll try to have a situation where I could very quickly demonstrate what the game is like in five minutes or less, just with like one turn, and, and that'll be a rundown instead of a run through. And so I started trying to do that, but they get getting progressively longer. Oh, okay, yes, that one was ten minutes. He's oh dear, that one was fifteen minutes. And when I oh, that one was thirty minutes long. Okay, I, I'm incapable of doing this. <laughs> I, I I'm, you know, I, I am not brief, um, and I and I can't bring myself to do that. So, um, and that was my intent to try to look. I can still cover all these games, but I don't have to spend so much time uh, running through them. And then, so, I switched over to doing the roundup now. And the roundup, the monthly thing I do every month, which you guys listen to on the podcast, because I... Do I? Oh my gosh, I haven't put this month's roundup yet, have I? Oh dear. I don't think I have. I need to do that. You'll be hearing that shortly, if you haven't already heard that ahead of this. (laughs) Um, This is still relatively new that I'm putting on the podcast. I've totally forgotten about that. Oh, bad me, bad me. I'm like... I'm four days late on that. So... Uh, doing this thing now where Jen and I are pretty much playing the same amount of games we've always played, but now I'm just doing little three-minute uh, snippets. That has been a godsend. I mean, There have been times when I've been down to only 50 games in the back queue that we have to play. That's pretty rare, though. That's not where we are today, to I 50. imagine. Yeah, only 50. That um, And so that helps a lot. Um, and at the same time, I did restrict myself. I used to have uh, I do eight run throughs every month like clockwork. Now I'm only doing six. Um, you know or and, you know plus Kickstarter ones that come up. And I say no to a lot. And you know what? Uh, that's why Shay and Ryan are here. So that they can cover some of the stuff instead of me. Cause you know it's not like the industry seems to be slowing down at all. And I'm just getting to ask more and more all the time. And, uh, yeah, it is very overwhelming. And so that's those, there's a handful of things I'm doing to try to get it a bit more under control. Uh, oh, and Fable. Uh, I did not know it was a launch title until you told me. I was aware of it because I was contacted to be the lead designer on it uh, before we left Malta. And if they had, I mean...
1: I, oh, yeah, there was a...
0: They contacted me about coming in <laughs> to talk to the developers uh, about working on that project after... We had already booked our flights and our transportation and our moving and everything. After no. it was in process,
1: it wasn't. It was within a few weeks, though. I think of deciding to move back to. the No,
0: States. I'm, I am confident we had already decided, and it was. Well, yeah, late. we'd already decided. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm saying. Yes, it, it came, um, and it was. But uh, it
1: wasn't like a year after we. No,
0: no, 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 no. Like I said, yeah, it was. It was a. It was a week or two. Yeah, that they got contact, and it was like, okay, if you had contacted me two weeks ago. When we were in the middle of making the biggest, biggest life choice we had made in a decade,
1: yeah.
0: things might have gone in a different direction. Yep. But they didn't. And so and we'd committed. I, I committed, and we committed to my mom and all that. So it was, it was it was, the die was cast, and so it didn't happen. I probably should have still... I regret not having to say, I didn't have to t- lead with that. I could have gotten a free trip to England and gone and seen what they were working on. And I kind of regret not, because that would you have been all. really cool. But still, that would have been evil of me to do because I would have just been wasting their money. and you Because know, there's no way I would have taken the job because it was too late. But I just would have loved to go and see what they were doing and maybe give them some advice. Because as far as I know, I don't know that they have any advice from any of the key principles on Fable or Fable 2. And they really need it. Maybe they did get Dean in and they um, consulted with him. I really hope they did. Um, would I play it? No, I'm not going to. I'll probably watch some videos of it. When it becomes available, and just see what they did. But I, uh, you know, I think video games are kind of done for me. That chapter is closed. All right, uh, Gerald wants to know how's the leg. It's pretty good.
1: Except I did some trimming this morning, oh. and I asked him to help me clean up. You know, the piles of trimmings. Yep. And he used his legs.
0: Yes, I was. I I my I think my leg was to the point where oh look I can just use both of my legs to sweep all this stuff so I can pick it up in just one. Trip instead of two, and after I was done with that, oh, my ankle's still there. So I'm not running on it, or I'm you know I, I, I it, it can still flare up and surprise me, and then I want to take it easy. I'm so happy we bought the brace. We did that that really made such a huge difference. Um, but it, it's it's pretty it's it's very much on the mend. I'm mostly back to normal. What are our favorite dystopian movie and book? I don't think Jen cares for dystopias at all.
1: I don't know. I can't think of anything.
0: Mm -hmm. Dystopian
1: Um, is future. Terrible, dystopic, terrible
0: things are yeah in a million different ways. Zombie survival is dystopic, but um, you could argue A Brave New World is dystopic. Most people consider it dystopia.
1: Mm. Well, I think I always enjoyed the Terminator movies. Mm, That's dystopian future, right?
0: One of them was, but I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think that quite fits the bill.
1: Okay. That's uh, all I got.
0: Yeah. I was really blown away by The Road by Cormac uh, McCarthy, I think. I was really blown away by that. That's the last actual full novel I've read. I'm still just so devastated by it I haven't read anything since. It's hard to say that's your favorite, though, because it's so just insanely intensely bleak and um, just soul-crushing. But it was really good. So that would be that would be my immediate gut response. I think. I also really love the Walking Dead comic series, comic book series. I really uh, enjoyed that.
1: Oh, I guess The Stand.
0: Oh, there you go. That's a good my one. favorite book. That's a good one. Yeah. The Stand. Jen loves The Stand. I I like The Stand a lot too. Hello from Kentucky says Sam. Podcast is a favorite. Enjoy the gift of gab. <laughs> um, right. Have I heard of Unity 2020, a new political movement offering an alternative to the two-party system? I know this has never worked in the past, but this one feels different. Andrew Yang is being floated as a potential candidate. Articles of Articlesofunity.org, if you've not heard of it. I'll follow next month to get your thoughts. Um, I'm aware of it, and I think it's well-intentioned, but... I mean, if I recall correctly, wasn't it born out of somebody just having a thought experiment in the middle of a podcast, and it's kind of caught on from there? The reality is, um, our system, until we have ranked choice voting, it's impossible. We have a two-party system, and that is completely unshakable. So it's largely immaterial, and all it has the potential to do, sadly, whether I agree with it or not, and I agree with it in principle, um, it, it it's... It, it, it is bound to fail, and all that's going to do is king-make. Uh, let's use some board game turns in this board game podcast. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not particularly keen on my vote going towards king-making. Um, and so once we have ranked choice voting, then things will be different. And I imagine we will have it in my lifetime, but it'll take a while to get there. All righty. Uh, Emil wonders... The question, um, all right, was about specific books. All right, all right, all right. All right. Oh god, I read the whole thing. Oh, it's very long. Things have been busy. Means uh, morning walks to get through the podcasts. This is more of a gen thing. Uh Richard reading not diverging. Right. Oh yeah. Understand. It's just down to emission. Oh my goodness. Anyway, the question being answered <laughs> in the episode he's talking about was about books read. The mix. And previous talks of media preference, of course, suggests some genres, but I'm curious to hear specific preferences or genres beyond the apparent lead towards space opera from Richard. Questions? All right. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So, Honey Pie, I think Emil's question is, what types of genres do you like in your books?
1: I like future tech ones. Uh-huh. Um, were
0: any of those ones you mentioned earlier future tech ones?
1: Um, no, but I've listed some on the prior podcasts okay. that were future tech. I think I also enjoy historical fiction that um, goes back and digs into a problem that you didn't even know there was, and yet there was, and it goes through that. Mm. I, so I, I appreciate that. I like that. Um, I like anything that summarizes hefty concepts and gives me something that's bite-sized and understandable. Okay. I like those kind of books, um, which a lot of the future text stuff is. Um. Yeah, I guess that's about it.
0: Okay. moment. All right. That's a good answer. All right. We're almost done, Honey Pie. Although Mario's got a big one. Oh. All righty. So Mario and his girlfriend finally tried Pandemic, or specifically Hot Zone, and we liked it quite a bit. So we're curious and motivated to try Legacy Season One. Not getting into spoilers. Just wanted to clarify. Can the characters die in Season 1? And if so, do you replace them with a new one? I believe the rule book makes clear that yes. There is a mechanism where basically if one of your characters is in a city and that city gets hit, I think by an epidemic, it's been a few years, that you will effectively take on wounds. And if you take too many of them, a character will die. If it dies in the middle of a mission... (laughs) then you will temporarily replace them with a generic character who has no powers, and then you'll have to pick a new character for subsequent games. Um, that's not a story spoiler. That's, a, that's a, something that can happen right from the get-go as soon as the adventure starts. So hopefully that answers your question. It definitely makes you much more afraid, because uh, it's a tough choice. Because you know, look, somebody's got to go over there to Miami and they're going to take a hit. There's no getting around there. You have to go over there. You're going to have time to stop us from dying, but you are going to get hit, and it will be one of your wounds. Who's going to take on that? And it really elevates. It's one of the reasons it's so great. Um, because again, a legacy game, you put that sticker on that you uh, that you were wounded, and it doesn't go away. How do you put season one and season two side by side? Which one fell? Oh, these are game questions! I thought pandemic questions meant pandemic in the real world, Even mean game. <laughs> So, dang yes, it. Yes, yes. I will repeat this later. Personal questions. Here we are. Oh, guys, is, this is the last time I do this out of order. This is so painful. This is like the third time now when I've answered game questions in the personal. Honey pie. Yeah. Mario and his girlfriend are um, in the eminence, or I think he means in the, uh, in the middle of international moving from Spain to the Netherlands. Oh. She's moving at the end of the month, and Mario will soon follow uh, when he finds a job. In our experience, both of us, what kind of tips can you give for this process? We will not bring most of the furniture we have here, but we want to bring games, books, and other stuff. Tips for intercontinental moves. Mm. Or not intercontinental, just inter country, your inner European moves. Gosh. Wow. Just
1: give as much stuff as you can before you go.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty universal. Yeah. Truism. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, honest, it was honestly no big deal moving to Malta.
1: Yeah.
0: And moving to back to Malta temporarily to the UK it was no big deal for the two weeks we, or the two months we stayed in the UK before we came back to America. Mm. I mean, it's a its a major inconvenience. Get a mover you trust. I mean, but yeah. that's, uh, yeah, yeah we, we got bad movers uh, because we didn't do any due diligence we just, you know, we had kind of a panic <laughs> last minute. Okay, we'll go with this guy. Yep. And that didn't work out very well uh so definitely don't you know do, do it by yeah. the seat
1: of your pants
0: yeah but, but i don't know I, I don't have anything good man i want to help but
1: yeah well just give be patient with yourselves as well because I nothing's going to go as smoothly as you hope it will yeah so you know
0: yeah assume everything's going to go wrong yeah and everything's going to cost more than you, and it should because it will. Mm-hmm. And there will be all kinds of unexpected <laughs> expenses, and there's just and
1: and hassles, and, and there's no getting around it. There's and, no getting around it. You yep. just have to
0: assume it's going to be kind of terrible. Yep. Um.
1: And then if anything goes right, you'll be like, "Hey,
0: hey, there you go." Yeah.
1: The important stuff. But really, I think. Unbroken.
0: Yeah, I think our only real one is get rid of as much stuff as you can.
1: Yeah. Yep. Lighten your load.
0: And honestly, I mean, we got rid of like 200 games. Take the opportunity. I know you said you're not going to do it. Take the opportunity. Get rid of 20% of your games.
1: 50%.
0: Although, maybe they only have 20 games. Maybe they're normal people and Ah. and not crazy people. Yep. Um, All right. While seeing the Q&A after the 20th live playthrough, I felt super connected with us when we spoke uh, about how, um, how we insult ourselves concerning how bad we are. Oh, how I insult myself about how poorly I play. Uh, when I had my mm-hmm. breakdown and talking about how it drives you nuts that I do that. On the other hand, I know my girlfriend would have felt super connected with Jen on her reaction and how it makes her feel. Jen, what would you say to try to convince Richard to stop doing that?
1: I Same thing I say all the time. Uh-huh. You're not stupid.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Stop doing this self-talk. Mm-hmm. You're not stupid. You're not stupid. You're not stupid. You're not. Mm-hmm. So stop it.
0: No, but I'm, yes, of course, I know I'm not stupid. I know I'm a smart person, but I do stupid things in games. I make stupid moves. And that's a statement of fact.
1: Well, I stop doing it then.
0: So that's the fundamental problem I have. I, if I were willing to spend as much time as Jen does, thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking, I'm sure I would do great. And I'm sure I would be her equal. And I wouldn't be quite so frustrated with myself. But I can't, because that is genuinely not fun. Jen, um, once she gets past five minutes of noodling over a thought, it's getting to be too much for her. <laughs> it's too much for me after 45 seconds. And like, oh my God, okay, I just got to stop thinking about this and make a move. And then I, I know I'll regret it later, and I do. Um, it's tough. And I, I know it's tough on Jen, and I feel bad about doing it. Uh-oh, your battery's going dead. I know. Uh, so, yep, and Jen's been trying to talk me out of it. I always tell her though, what I would appreciate more than anything else, and I think she's incapable of doing it, um, is, yes, agree, that was stupid, and help me try to address what I did wrong, instead of just denying that it was stupid and saying, oh no, no, you're really smart, yeah, all those things you did, those were really smart, those things that made you lose by thirty points, total smart. <laughs> I would if, if
1: we always do. I would
0: appreciate more. Yep, that was pretty stupid.
1: <laughs> I'm not gonna do that I don't you, you whatever it was wasn't a stupid you it was it was a at the time a legitimate choice
0: I don't know how many times I have to point out to you they are uh, they are objectively poor moves that um I would not have made if I had spent an additional two minutes thinking about it
1: well I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that you know? and,
0: and acknowledge that yes they were stupid moves
1: and then what how is that serving anything
0: um misery loves company
1: you so say you want me to be miserable with you?
0: No, but I do think um, when you are frustrating, you get you sometimes make really bad moves and you have breakdowns too and, yeah. and melt, meltdowns. You're like, I just can't keep going. What I generally try to do is, yeah, wow, that you're in a really bad spot, honey pie. How did that happen? What kind of choices did you make? And I just spend times trying to identify what choices you made.
1: Oh, see, I think I, you're doing that because you need to understand the game.
0: No, 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 no. I'm not trying to do that at all. I, I that's just a kind of a way of like sympathizing with you.
1: Oh, I like you.
0: <laughs> so anyway, no, that's, that's what I try to do. I mean, I, I certainly don't shy away and say, oh no, honey pie, you know, you couldn't be expected to make a good move there. Yeah. That was a bad move, but how did you get in that situation <clears> and what, what, what should you have done and, and this and that and the other. And honestly, I think it kind of frustrates you and you, <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I don't know. But I mean, I,
1: I honestly, that's, more... that's, that's,
0: that's what I would be looking for. Okay. So maybe that's what you can tell your girlfriend, Mario. And good luck with the move. And I think that was it. Except, Honey Pie, do you have any final words of wisdom?
1: Um, yeah, I guess I kind of do. I know. I just. Um, okay, well, here's a good one. Okay. This was a quote from a book I read recently. And I thought it was quite interesting. And, uh, yeah, just really good wisdom. Okay, so here it is. Regret is a tough emotion to live with, impossible to move on from, because what is done is done. Only delusion can protect you from it, somehow altering history into something easier to accept. And I took away from that. Don't do stuff that you're going to regret. Think about decisions. Think about them ahead of time. Think about how you'd feel about them in five years or ten years. Mm -hmm. and make a decision according to how you're going to feel about it in five to ten years. And I think that's something that actually I have done throughout our lives Mm -hmm. together, is we've made decisions thinking, how would we look back on that? But I hadn't ever seen it quite so succinctly put. Ah. That it's regret is a really tough emotion because you can't ever, you can't deal with it. It's something that's already been done. Yeah. So, anyway, I thought that was really good.
0: Okay. And is that it? That's it. All right, then, folks, we are out of here. Well, Jen is. I got to go do the other stuff now. And <laughs> I got to go stuff. bleep uh, bleep at one point as well. <laughs> Who knows when that was? Oh, man. I don't, I, how do people listen to this thing? It just goes on forever. <laughs> uh, but uh, d- by all means, please do come back next month and listen to <laughs> us even more. Um, in the meantime, send your questions to questions at rada.com. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a nice day. Talk to you. So long.